and we're live. Welcome. Hey. Welcome Thank you. Welcome to the Going Up Fishes podcast, episode 162 with uh, Sully of Vagabond Seeds. How's it going, man? I'm doing really well, having a beautiful day here in Southern Oregon. Awesome. I got a chance to see you uh, at least once every three months at the different cannabis conferences and events and stuff, it feels like, sometimes more than that. And it's uh, always cool to hang out and talk shop and talk seeds. You, you get a chance to actually um, sell a lot of the seeds from a lot of the breeders we've had on the, on the show and, and a lot of people that are, are you know, that, that a lot of people on the show are big fans of. And um, it's always really cool to talk to you to find out about, hey, what, you know, how is the, uh, those seeds and those beans and those genetics working kind of on the, on the street level? You know what I mean? So it's really awesome to have you. Yeah, on yeah. I'm 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 blessed to be living this life, and it's great seeing you at the at the events. Of, uh, Canacon was great out in Oklahoma City. I was blown away. You know, I'd I'd been out in Oklahoma City um, back in 1996 or so, and back then, if you like smelled like pot, you were going to jail. And people told me, "Hey, come out here and sell some seeds." So I drove my motorhome out there. And I was blown away. There was pot everywhere. People were friendly. They were growing it. The cops were like, yeah, we don't care about it. And then Canacon was just unbelievable, you know, and then, and then 420, that, that three, that whole three or four day experience there was, uh, it was hard to leave Oklahoma. I'll tell you what, I love it out there. Oh yeah. It was a lot of fun. The one, the one thing I thought was funny in Oklahoma versus California is, uh, I think over the whole weekend, there was maybe four people that had dreadlocks and I was one of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very different experience. Here, you can't go anywhere. You go to the library, and there's four people with dreadlocks. <laughs> <laughs> That's Southern Oregon. Like tonight, there's a show. Uh, a band, this guy, a band called Galactic. The main guy from them is uh, his project is playing here, and I thought of going, and it'll be all my dready friends. It's yeah, good times. But yeah, yeah, um, it, it was really exciting to go out there and see, you know, I mean, with Oklahoma emerging and then uh, Arkansas and Missouri, you know, I've got friends out there that have been on pills for years who are hitting me up saying, hey, man, will you come out here and, and set me up in my bedroom with, with a, you know, I can actually do this now and not risk going to prison. And, and that, it's just great to see these emerging states and see these changes that people have been fighting for for a long time a lot of people have <laughs> there's been a lot of sacrifices so that we can be where we're at right now you know we have to give thanks to the people before us who have laid their their freedom on the line you know some folks i was talking to somebody the other day and i realized as i was talking to him i was like when you were born cannabis or like you know when you were old enough to understand what cannabis was it was already legal so you've never had like a moment of your life where you were like you know sneaky and had to like go covert to get your, your product or whatever. And, and it's strange being out here in, in that kind of an environment. Um, these three states uh, have been, you know, medical for since 2007 up in Washington, uh, much longer than that down in um, California. And, um, and what, 1996, I think, in Oregon? Uh, I thought so California it, was first in 96, and Oregon was 97 or 98, I think. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, we, um, you know, I, I lived up in Washington during a pretty pivotal point. Uh, I, 
I was working uh, in in the excavation industry, and and the housing bubble burst, and and I had grown years prior, so uh, I I found out that I could get a card because of an injury I had, and I got a card, and then we we got my ex wife a card, and we started growing, and we had this excess product, and we didn't know what to do with it, so we started making this peanut butter and making this hummus, and and we were bringing bringing the uh, hummus and the peanut butter to different dispensaries, and then when they'd look at our hummus, we'd say, oh, and we have pounds. And we were donating pounds. In those days, you had to call it donating. Um, you know, if you said, sell, I want to sell you some weed, it was like saying bong in a head shop. They were like, you're going to have to leave now. What? You know, learn the rules, buddy. So, I yeah, got, it was. Um, I got thrown out of a head shop one time for calling something a Keith box, man. What else are you going to call Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A tobacco pollen collector. <laughs> tobacco pollen. Yeah, I got. I got kicked out of a grow shop that I've been going to for like two years uh, during the medical phase of Washington um, because I had asked him something in front of somebody else and said, well, you know, it's my hydro tray, you know, there's one plant over here and, you know, the bud on it. And he's like, leave the store now. <laughs> he was, yeah, he was furious, but it was, it was ridiculous. You know, in those days, everybody, like we went from, there was a point there where I, I used to have to go, you know, I worked in construction. So for me to get weed, I had to be really covert about it in my life. And I had to go to this one guy and his name was Pooch. And, and I had to go to his, like, show up in his back alley and not let his grandma know that I was there and knock on the back window. And he'd come around or his cousin come and, you know, they'd let me in. And they'd have a quarter that was always like 5.2 grams and then a bunch of cocaine. And they're like, take a, take a line of cocaine. I'm like, no, I don't want your cocaine. You know, I don't want you cook it. And then one day, suddenly I went from that to, okay, I'm, I've got weed back in my life and, and there's a great market for it. You know, weed was, uh, you know, $3,500 a pound at that point. And uh, we were able to make, you know, make a living, not a killing, but, you know, make a living. We were paying and buying new equipment and learning new techniques and, and going to a lot of events and giving a lot of stuff away. And, um, but yeah, the uh, the peanut butter and the the hummus that we made became more of a medicine, and brought people to me that recognized my logo on my shirt and and um, made it more of a thing than just getting high and making money. It, it was a passion there for a while, um, and and the peanut butter really changed a lot of people's lives. A lot of people with like celiacs and Crohn's, um, it's a you know the the nut butter medicated nut butter just takes a long time to go through their system instead of a, a you know a candy or or just like taking a dab or whatever that's not doing anything for your body you know as as far as you know crohn's and getting a good night's sleep but man people were taking the peanut butter and taking just a spoonful of it and and having great nights of sleep i i loved it i'd put it on some ice cream and and eat the ice cream and man i'd be asleep halfway through the bowl but that was my that was how I cut my teeth kind of in the industry. You know, I, I'd worked uh, a long time ago. Uh, I hitchh hitchhiked around the country and followed the Grateful Dead and did a bunch of wild shit. And I ended up in Humboldt County looking for an old friend of mine. And I met these people that put me out on this farm in the middle of nowhere, this little town called Petrolia. It was like 35 miles or two hours down this rickety old road. And then up through like four locked gates and there were people with like rifles and stuff. And she's like, you know how to use an Uzi? But I worked for her for about a year and a half, um, her and her husband. And, and they lived down in California. So most of the time in Southern California. 
So most of the time there, it was really chill, but they would come up every now and then and bring a bunch of people that they felt they had to impress, you know, a bunch of college kids and they were, they were older couples. So they were just like, ah, let's shoot guns and tell stories about being crazy. And I'm like, fuck, go away. It was, it was a crazy time. But, but I, in those days, you know, loose lips shrink ships. You didn't tell anybody what you did. Um, fast forward 20 years and all of a sudden, you know, being quiet and not telling people about your product is, is a taboo. You know, you got to get out there and hustle it. And, and that's what I did. I was out there with peanut butter. Any event that was going on anywhere, I had my ice chest and I was walking around and like, hey, have you tried my peanut butter? You know, and I recognized people like Vivian Peak and, and a lot of the, you know, a lot of the industry icons and, and people that I'd never really had the ability to go up and approach. And, and suddenly I had a, a product that I was really proud of, you know, and I, I was able to meet a lot of people and, and um, bridge a lot of gaps that uh, brought me kind of into the seed thing. You know, um, it gave me the credibility to um, to go where I've gone in the seed bank and, and be able to open a lot of doors for me that I probably wouldn't have been able to open had I not lived those years of my life um, doing that thing. Um, those were uh, those were interesting times, you know, and then we uh, legalization happened. We went from being a medical state uh, where, where medical the medical community was just very close. We had farmers markets where you could bring jars of your flowers and sit it out on a table. And um, Jeremy and Kitty Miller were running this, this awesome scene where it was like a hundred bucks to go and sit out there and, and you could sell your weed to people that had to go and buy shitty dispensary weed, you know? So you were selling your good closet weed, which is always better than dispensary weed to, um, to people that were grateful, you know, at eight or $10 a gram or what have you. And, and you were making good money. It was, it was a really good scene. And then legalization came. Uh, we, we were fighting for a couple of different initiatives. Um, and then 502 came in, which was the initiative that passed. And it, uh, it divided everyone because there were some things that, that um, a lot of people disagreed on the five nanograms per whatever liter of blood, uh, um, for DUIs and, and that, you know, the cops can all of a sudden draw blood. A lot of people were really opposed to that because they're medical patients and they're like, dude, I fucking dabbed 15 times before I go to the store. You know, I'm, I'm going to lose my license and go to prison. So there was a lot of dissent and a lot of people broke up and a lot of people still don't talk because of that. Um, it really broke up our community. Um, and then as legalization happened, um, they, they swooped in and busted everybody that was making oil and busted everybody that was still growing big and, and uh, that was right before, like, I got out of town. I was just like, hey, Southern Oregon's calling, and I moved down here. And they, they busted a bunch of people that were making oil, good friends of mine, and they called it um, Operation Shattered Dreams. It was pretty fucked up. Um, excuse my French. But, yeah, that was, um, those are good times, you know. Uh, Washington was a really good scene. And, and now with legalization, it's kind of just turned into, like, liquor stores. I really don't feel there's very much craft cannabis going on in Washington state. Um, I guess, you know, don't, don't hate on me. Anybody listening to this, I, I, I could be definitely proven wrong. I'll be at hemp fest from Friday to Sunday. So please come prove me wrong. <laughs> I'd love to be proven, proven wrong, but yeah, um, I, uh, I moved down to Southern Oregon and when I, I came down here, there was uh, this beautiful Valley, and, and okay, I moved down here to stop growing weed. Um, that was all I did in my life. You know, I had to make my kids do a 360 before they left the house to make sure they didn't have a bud on their shoulder. 
um, I'd stayed up half the night trimming and, you know, as soon as the kids were gone, I was off to gardens working, working, working. And, uh, I got sick of it and I, you know, I wanted to come down here and I, and I, I met these people that had this big permaculture farm and it just fell apart right away. And I found this land that we moved on to. Um, and I've been here for uh, nearly seven years and, um, uh, it, it's it's a perfect place to grow in, in the world. It's the Applegate Valley. Um, I, I'm specifically the Little Applegate Valley. The sun runs east west right over my land. There's a river that runs through. I don't have a neighbor for two miles. Um, our first couple of years here, we didn't have any internet or any. There's no phones that run here. There's a dirt road. There's no. I mean, it's just. It was beautiful. We grew food and grew big, great big ganja plants and you know, harvest a hundred pounds of weed and it was gone right away at the price we wanted because there wasn't really a big giant surplus of weed. Uh, we were able to live here the first, the first two or three years, basically just like homesteaders. Um, I, I lived probably some of the best years of my life then. I had enough money that I didn't have to leave the land. Um, I grew good food for my kids. Um, I grew great weed for my friends and, and uh, we lived a really good life and I made a lot of really good hash. Um, and then legalization happened here. Actually, what happened here is legalization happened and then um, people were apathetic and thought that the legislators would just go ahead and take care of them. Uh, and, and they allowed legislators who were basically prohibitionists to write the laws and, and they zoned everybody out that was a legitimate small family grower. So they made it to where you couldn't grow on what's called rural residential RR5. And a good portion of the good craft growers were on RR5 property. And these are people who not only are they just growers, but you know, like Bob's a great cabinet builder. He's in his shop all the time making these beautiful cabinets. You should see them there in stores and restaurants, but he also grows, you know, 96 plants and that's how he survives. Well, then they took that option away from Bob and, and it really destroyed my community and the people that swooped in to buy the land um, were people from Southern California or Central California who are retired and don't really give back to the community much. They're not involved. Um, we are just, our community has changed a lot um, over, over legalization. Um, and it's through the apathy of everyone not going to the meetings. You know, I'd go to these meetings and look around and it was the same four or five, eight people that, that uh, were at all the meetings prior. You know, some of them, when they, when they, they wanted to take away everybody's right to grow in this, there's a county called Josephine County where Grants Pass is and Cave Junction, um, Tequilma, they're pretty, uh, Will, Williams, they're, they're pretty prominent um, cannabis growing communities. You know, Southern Oregon where I'm at is a lot like Humboldt County is like a lot of people you hear of Humboldt County as being like the, the best place in the world to grow. And, you know, it is a good place to grow as long as you're above the fog line and you've got sun and you've got water and, you know, uh, permits these days, it's fuck. They're, they're brutal. They're stinging on everybody. Um, but, but um, Southern Oregon is great because it's so incredibly dry here and the temperatures are generally just right for growing cannabis. Like today it's 91 degrees, 31% humidity. Um, and that's uh what six at seven o'clock or whatever here yeah so it's uh it, it's a prime prime habitat for cannabis you know a little hot if it was an indoor room but 
but yeah, being out here, I met all these people who were doing their thing and, and uh, they all seem to be growing the same thing. Everyone here is growing Jaeger. A lot of blue dream was in the ground. Um, a lot of uh, Shishka berry, a lot of local, local strains and such, but um, not really much variety. And somebody asked me, they knew that I knew um, Odie from homegrown natural wonders. And I had, I had just the year prior gotten some clones from him and grew all of my plants from, from his genetics. And he's one of my, like one of my favorite breeders in the world. Um, so and he said, Hey, can you get me some Dr. Who? And I said, yeah. And I went down and I met, met with Odie and I got some Dr. Who seeds and brought them back. And he goes, Oh, I don't need those anymore. I'm like, son of a, so I put it on Facebook. Hey, I got these seeds and they were gone like instantly. But everybody hit me up for, you know, for days. So I went, yeah, I'll, I'll go back up. I'll go back up. I got, you know, I'll t- get you taken care of. Well, I, I got like $4,000 worth of seeds and sold them all within, you know, two or three days. Um, and then other breeders heard and I, I reached out to some other people and, you know, I got Dynasty and um, Alpha Chronics and uh, at that uh, next, I think, was uh, La Plata Labs. And then after that was... Uh, rare dankness and then we had Bodhi uh and then I started and, and then and then I had a divorce <laughs> but yeah that's uh you know the the seed thing has been um one of the most fun things I've ever done uh I'm, I'm like a, a a fertility doctor for expectant growers you know I bring hope and and future and and um you know I can look in people's eyes and like, what's your, what's your favorite? What's your, what's your terpene? What, you know, what do you, how are you growing? What medium, what are you doing? And like, this is what you want here. And I just feel proud that I sent them home with something that here in, you know, the next four or six months, something like that, they're going to be smoking something and be like, he's fucking right. That guy knew me. And that's, that's my goal. And, and I enjoy it. Um, you know, everybody's got a different flavor. I've got a lot of different flavors. Um, Sometimes I really like something that's a candy terpene. Sometimes I like something that's a sour diesel. But I, I grew way too much sour a couple of years ago, and I kind of ruined it. It's like having a big box of licorice. Never want to have licorice again. But yeah, that's um. Yeah, the seed thing has been a lot of fun. So, uh, so what has been kind of some of the trends you've seen? You work and sell and move a lot of different types of cultivars, a lot of different phenome types, a lot of different chemovars. Um, what are some of the trends you've seen maybe in the last two years with chemotypes? <laughs> what, what I'm seeing the most is the biggest trend right now is everybody just wanting um, f- feminized and autoflowers. That's... Um, it's mostly, <laughs> most of, mostly what I'm seeing these days. Uh, it's, it's frustrating for me, honestly, because I'm, I've never been a fan of feminized or autoflower. And now I carry some, but people contact me and I try and talk them out of autoflower or, or feminized. And then they think, well, this guy's autoflowers and films must really suck. So, so they don't pull the trigger. But um, yeah, that's, um, that's where I've been. Sorry, are you there? Uh, yeah, sorry about that. Um, oh, so, uh, what yeah, are some yeah. of the different challenges you've you've experienced growing in Oregon, and uh, what are maybe the cultivars that you've been growing that have done the best in your climate? Uh, one of the things that we have, um, we get 
in my little valley, the sun stops hitting over my house or over my garden. Um, in the middle of October to the end of October, I start getting down to only having like six hours of sun there. And then we have these really wet mornings. Um, so I, I'm always really over hyper vigilant about mold. I'm, I, you know, I'm, when I grow my plants, I like to, uh, I like to be able to stand inside of the plant and work inside of the plant and have complete airflow. Uh, you know, all I want to be harvesting anyway is the, the outside 18, 24 inches or whatever cola. Um, the rest of the inside is just going to turn into powdery mildew and, and turn, you know, take away my energy, long reaching crap. Um, one of the biggest issues that I have in, in growing in Southern Oregon is just keeping up with the growth. Um, by the time I get to the lot, like I say, I, I work alone. I don't ever really bring anybody out here until harvest day. And um, I, I, I get, uh, I finish one plant and I go back to the beginning and it's, oh my God, a whole nother day's work. Are you serious? Um, which isn't a bad thing. You know, growth is great. Um, I'm really blessed here. I have, uh, a river that runs right through the land that I'm able to pump right out of. I feel like I've never, I've never checked the pH. <laughs> I've never worried about, um, the, it's, it's, uh, a little slice of heaven. Um, you know, I, 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 I grow in the ground. Um, I dig down about oh, 36 inches and then about an eight foot circle and fill it in with soil. I, I use hardware cloth, uh, as a, as a perimeter to keep the, uh, squirrels out because we have squirrels, these ground squirrels that'll crawl through and, and eat your, uh, eat your roots and destroy your plants. And, uh, it only takes one year for you to learn about those. Um, that a lot of people out here have had a lot of issues with, uh, with mites. Um, we had a, a big russet mite outbreak here about two years ago, maybe three years ago. And, People didn't know anything about what it was and, and they just see one day they'd see a plant starting to wilt up and then within three days there's a whole corner of their garden wilting up and you could see it happen as you drove by their house. So, you know, a couple of days you'd look and go, oh shit, what's going on? Like somebody poisoned their plants and uh, the russets were evil here. You know, you, you were talking uh, you, you were talking about uh, I don't even remember what you were saying you all had out there, but um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's bad when there's an epidemic and everybody around has it. And, and as a seed guy, you know, as, as, as I felt a responsibility to not drag bugs and mold from one garden to another. And, you know, like being the seed guy is really cool because people call me, you know, back in the day here, uh, you know, four years ago, five years ago, when it was really popping out here, people would call me and say, Hey man, I'm, I'm down in honeydew. Or I'm down in Garberville or whatever, and I'm looking at your menu, and I need ten thousand dollars worth of seeds. And I go, I'll see you tomorrow morning, man. You know, and I drive down and get to walk around somebody's beautiful farm, and their their, their wife would make me a great lunch, and we'd you know sit by the creek and smoke some of their beautiful weed, and and then they'd look at my seed thing and go, you know, let me get fifteen thousand dollars worth instead, and they'd go to their their, their little thing and come back with $15,000 cash and thank me and hug me and like, brother, thank you. This is beautiful. And, and that, you know, those were good days, man. I'll tell you what, there's nothing better than the feeling of that. Um, and that was pretty much every, every other day, uh, back in those days. And 
a lot of time growing up in in um i went from uh, i went from store to store when i started selling seeds at that time there were just under 200 dispensaries in in oregon and i went to 99 percent of them walked around and and shook their hands and gave them my information and and they were all like nobody wants to buy seeds well when legalization happened all those people called me because when legalization in oregon happened you could buy seven grams of flour um, four clones or unlimited seeds nobody had clones and nobody had seeds except me so they were they had people lined up around the block going in there like what do you mean i can only spend 70 bucks like every, you know some people are calling me like get over here with those seeds now like we need those seeds when can you be here tomorrow okay please 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 and um those were those were those were good days like being those i was one of the only people at that time that were selling seeds on that level in oregon um there were some people that you know were, were doing their own seed thing while they were doing their their thing but but I, I just hit it full bore i was going to events like i was you know i did uh the emerald cup i did chalice i did um a bunch of these thc fairs i i sponsored a bunch of concerts um a, a bunch of things that the merry pranksters were involved uh it was uh, melvin seals and terrapin flyer they played a little concert a little tour run here in in my area and i sponsored that and that was like a dream come true like you know I sponsored a touring band to come through and had my logo on everything and talked about on the radio and stuff. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was, um, it was a lot of fun. And and then, like I say, you know, divorce happened and, and, uh, I kind of beca- became a hermit and, and, and the, the, uh, the laws all changed kind of at the same time. Um, so it was a good time to be a hermit, I guess. Um, but now, um, I've, I've reemerged, you know, I've, I've done this, um, transformation i guess um you know i i've lived out here as as a farmer on this land i've I've had my dirt my hands in the soil and and my my knees in the water like my body is one with this this land and and the people that own the land have given me this uh runaround of you know probably not going to be there this year so so i've been really hesitant to put plants in the ground so instead i i bought a motorhome and i went on a tour Twenty five thousand miles i've driven since january 15th um I went all up and down the West Coast and all the way up pretty much to the Canadian border and, and down to Hollywood and all through Humboldt and Mendocino a bunch of times and uh, down through Big Sur and, and uh, took off to uh, out to Oklahoma. Of course, you know that. And, um, and then spent some time in Arkansas, went to a couple of festivals in the mountains of Arkansas at this place called Dogpatch USA. There was a festival. It was pretty incredible. Um, but yeah, I, I, um, I've moved on to this thing. I'm, my goal now is to figure out a way that I can make my living and live on the road and enjoy doing what I'm doing, um, and have a little bit of fun and a little bit of freedom, you know, as, as a farmer, um, you know, this is the first year I've ever been to Oregon country fair and I've lived here seven years. And when people are like, you remember that one year at fair? And I go, I've never been, they go, what? Well, like people are offended, but I'm, I'm a gardener, you know, I got lettuce that needs to be watered and covered and, and uncovered with, you know, it's got a, I got ganja that needs, you know, if my timers turn off, then I'm going to be homeless next year. You know, I can't, I can't leave. So I've, I've missed out on everything, you know, dead shows. Like, so this year I've, I've done dead tour. I did Oregon country fair. I did, uh, uh, went out and did a bunch of festivals out there. Like I said, 
and it's all with the intention of basically um, finding what it is that people need and figuring out ways to bring it to them. Because I'm, I'm uh, like, I, my, my goal, I want to be able to set up inside of events. Like I want to be able to go to concerts anywhere in the country and be like, Oh yeah, I'm, I'm a business and, and I can, I've got all this big giant, pop-up and and uh and i want to be able to sit in there and sell merchandise to people and make money so that i can go to concerts and so i can live that life and and while i'm doing that also do other things along the way um the end, end result the end goal is to live in a sailboat in like the next five years like 100 that's where i'm at which is crazy having been a farmer now for uh you know the last uh, seven years i've been what's that on pots then on your sailboat or no, no, you know, I'm, I figured, and I've, I've thought this a lot. I've thought a lot about this. I grew up in Monterey, California. So like I grew up washing boats for rich people and I, you know, being around boats and fishing and, and swimming in the ocean. It's, it's kind of my name. It's nature. It's natural for me. Um, and I thought, you know, I can go out and I can fish for, for deep water fish and bring them in and trade them to people at farmer's markets. Like, yo man, I got a fish for a couple, you know, a couple onions and some potatoes and stuff. That, yeah, I'm not, um, you know, my goal is to go and my goal is to find happiness there. I, I used to be one of the happiest people in the world. And, uh, and I became one of the angriest and saddest people in the world for a while there. And, and, um, and it was really unhealthy for me. And, and I've been seeking happiness ever since in, in many different ways. And, and, uh, and I don't think that my happiness is on this continent. You know, I mean, it's here. I'm, I'm happy. I'm, you know, I'm a happy individual right now. Don't get me wrong but I really want to just go and explore. I want, I want to take a sail. I want to buy like a 45 foot sailboat and learn to sail it up and down the inside passage and around the Puget sound and take it out in the, the West coast a little bit, a couple storms, you know, get used to it and then start, just go, you know, and take off, build a little crew of a couple people. So, then, uh, so what are some of the more popular cultivars that you're uh, that you guys carry and that you're seeing? Uh, what are the most maybe popular five or ten cultivars that you're you're seeing, particularly in THC and maybe separately CBD? Yeah, um, let's see. The doctor Doctor Who has been really popular here. Uh, you know, Geek Farms. I don't know, you're probably familiar with them. Um, they they run a cut of that. Well, they a seed of that that. Um, that has become really popular in all the stores here. So everybody really loves the doctor who, um, um, also the quantum Kush is a really high, high THC. It's also by, um, homegrown natural wonders, really high THC, uh, and a really quick finisher. It's like seven weeks in soil, uh, which is a little bit quicker in hydro. Um, you know, all, all of everything that, um, dynasty does is my, uh, my favorite. I mean, you can just like swipe that whole list. Um, out here, I've I've grown Blue Magoo, I've grown Salmon River OG, I've grown um, Blue Heron, I've grown uh, the Platinum Huckleberry Cookies, and and um, the Huckleberry uh, was it Huckleberry Diesel from Dynasty, and and all of those did very well out here. They're all good early finishers. You know, I'm a big proponent of early finishers. You know, good heavy indicas um, generally. You know, the, they're good early, they're good finishers. Um, they're bulkier. You know, they're people, a lot of people want to go for that sativa. And I've just always been a, 
I, I want to be done and down by the time the weather comes. I want to be completely done. I'm like, I used to grow uh, a strain called um, Sweet Irish Kush that's also bred by Odie from Homegrown Natural Wonders. And I don't know the lineage of it, but it's um, it's a seven-week strain and it's got this, like, somebody described it the other day, like Bailey's Irish Cream. And, and it's probably a good a good description of it. But it's super quick. I mean, just done done and down and, and and then also on top of that another one that he um he bred is uh the oregon diesel which a lot of people call a semi-auto or semi-pop um it it flowers at anything under 18 hours so you can have it indoors at 24 hours and and take cuttings off of it and mother it out and then put them out at a week at a time and they just all of a sudden start flowering so like i like i was telling you earlier i like to grow my plants um, I have a, a nursery room. I grow in 20 gallon pots. Um, I like my plants to be already trellised in the pot and, and up about five to six feet tall by the time I put them out in the ground. Um, my end goal is to have, you know, eight, nine, 10 foot plants. Um, but, but the, uh, the sweet, the, the Oregon diesel creates these massive giant chunky nuggets and it, and it smells like, um, I mean, it's just like, it's like a berry diesel so strong. I can't even describe it. It's so great. Unless you let it go too far and then it tastes like anise and you may as well just throw it away. It, ugh, disgusting. But, um, but it's done. Uh, I, I want to say it's a, a nine week, maybe a 10 week strain, which is pretty long. But when it starts flowering in June, um, you know, it, it's great. So yeah, they, they'd be down. What I, what I like to do with the, Oregon diesel is put out two or three of them. And then a couple, couple days, you know, a week later, put out two or three of them and a couple days later, put out two or three of them. And that way it was super easy to manage. Cause when they were going, when they come down, um, it's like a hundred degrees here and I don't like my, my cannabis to dry too fast. I'm really a stickler on, um, on letting it slowly dry in a, in a temperature controlled room. And when you get, you know, 50, 70 pounds, 100 pounds coming down and it's, and it's 100 degrees outside, you're going to lose it. There's mold. There's, you know, losing little corners of your room where you forgot to check and it's dry as a bone and just falls off of the, the flower. It's, um, you know, there's, there's in, in my opinion, there's, there's things that you have to do. There's essentials to be a successful cannabis grower and actually produce a marketable product. You know, a lot of people can grow something that, that you can just grow and, and, you know, and yeah, I grew this pot and yay, good for you, bro. You don't have to buy weed for a little while, but to actually sell something that people are going to come back and be like, yo, man, I want that again. Um, there's some requirements and one of the big ones is genetics. You know, you, you got to start with good genetics. If you don't start with good genetics, um, a lot of people are telling me like, oh, I'm just going to get this bag seed and pop it. I'm like, dude, you're going to waste six months of your life on a bag seed that you bought from a dispensary like that's stressed out you know that's not a good bag seed you know um, medium on top of that you know um, uh, using a proper medium um, is really important um, you know I prefer soil um, I've also done hydroponics and I really enjoy rock wool but I don't really find it to be a uh, a good thing for the environment not that the uh, organic amendments that I use are which leads me to the next thing, amendments, you know, proper amendments. 
like you know your your cannabis will taste like what you put in it if you're pouring an ab mixture with some ph down in that shit it's going to taste like that ph down ab mixture and and it you know and you know proper flush and and a proper harvest are are key you know i see a lot of people around here that jump the gun um they they think uh you know right now right now the rain's going to come in a week i'm just going to take all these plants down and get them in the barn well dude I sold you those seeds. That's an, you know, a nine week strain and you're only five weeks in bro. And, and those people are selling that. That's the booth packs that you hear out, you know, people like, Oh man, I got a hundred pounds for $500 a pound out in Oregon. That was those guys. Um, and then proper cure. Like, and that's the, to me, like the first and the last are the biggest things. Genetics and the proper cure. Like you can grow the best weed in the world. And just like, oh my God, like that, look at it. It's beautiful. It's organic. It's grown properly. It's, oh my God, everything is right. And then cure it wrong. And it just going to taste like, hey, or it's going to be too dry. Or it's going to make you cough. It's going to, you know, hurt your lungs instead of being a sweet thing that you smoke that, mm, man, I want to take, I just want to sit and take bong hits of this because it's got so many, like the terpenes are preserved. And like, to me, I'm, I'm a big, I'm all about cure. You know, I've moved a lot of weight to dispensaries um, for, for different farmers. And, and the big thing for me is opening the, the bag and putting it up to my nose. And if, if I put that turkey bag up to my nose and it just doesn't punch me in the face with terpenes and a freshly opened pound of weed, I don't want it. You know, you, you fucked up, screwed up, excuse me, on the, on the, the uh, curing process. And, and that's where I'm seeing a, most rookies, most inexperienced growers, not that, you know, there's anything wrong with being a rookie or an experienced grower. I was one too, but that's where I'm seeing a lot of people jumping the gun. Um, I'm seeing people stringing their weed all in this big giant garage and, and having fans blowing on it. And um, for me, like what I, even, even when I grow hundred pounds of weed, um, I, I take down my weed and I have, a, I have a process for my harvest that I'm a stickler about. Um, I, I take off each individual chunk. I get all the fan leaves off and then I bring it in and I hang them in, in this room and I make sure that the room is about the size of a bathroom, maybe two bathrooms, not a very big room at all. Um, completely dark, um, very little ventilation, if any, usually no ventilation and a fan that just blows down on the ground, like not anywhere near the, the plant, the, the plant matter itself, but just enough to like make sure that there's a little bit of air moving. Like, you know, and I, I, I dry on hangers, so I like the hangers to just kind of swing a little bit. Like if they're moving and the plant matter's moving, there's way too much wind and that's going to dry those out way too fast. And, and I'll go and check on those every day for a, about seven days. You know, it's between five to seven days generally, depending on the size of the flowers. And um, when the smallest of the small um, branches will snap perfectly and just go, then it comes down and I'll cut it all down in totes. Um, so it, it, like the black and yellow industrial totes and, uh, and put a lid on it. And every day or so for about, well, for about two days, I'll, I'll give it a, just a little shimmy, not a shake, but a little shimmy. So they loosen the buds up a little bit and they're not all touching the same spot with the other one. I'm neurotic about that. Like even in my jars, I don't like my weed to sit touching the same spot that it's been touching on that other bud for too long. I'm like mold. Same with my flowers when I'm growing out in my garden. Like I'm a trellis freak. 
and I don't like anything touching anything. I think that's where mold comes from. It's just things sitting against itself and there's some nice moisture. You know, like I said, I, I'm blessed to have this beautiful river water. I foliar feed my plants. Um, people are freaked out about rain coming and, and I'm out there in my shorts while it's raining, like foliar feeding my plants because they love it. You know, they love the water. Um, all the way up until, you know, about the last two weeks. I don't, I'm not that brave. I'm not asking for botrytis or powdery mildew. Yeah. I to apply things, especially things like BT or if I'm going to do a antifungal, something like uh, Pactillus subtilis, Pactillus pomilis, um, or Streptomyces. It's great to get out there like as soon as that rain finishes and the rain's still wet on the plants and applying a little bit more water to them so that those microbes can spread a little easier really is, you know, if you're doing outdoor, that's the time to do it. Yeah, I, I hose them down every morning. Um, for me, it's it's part of my morning ritual. Um, you know, for, for a while there, I had this uh, great little homesteader thing going, go out at five in the morning and watch the sun go up, you know, weed my couple of weeds that had popped up, like, where'd you come from? And look for animal tracks and, and uh, water my plants while I looked at the plants and looked down at my food and wondered what I needed to harvest and start processing for the day. It was, uh, it was pretty good, but yeah, I, I just would spray the plants. Like, I mean, they're dancing, they're just moving. You know, I'm, I'm a big, you know, air movement is a big thing for me. I think that plants need air movement. Not that that has anything to do with water movement, but, um, I, it, like when I'm, when I go into people's gardens indoors and I don't see their leaves moving, um, that's another one. I'm always like, you're going to get mold. Like you're, you're, giving a perfect environment for pests and mold. It's nice and warm and humid in here and there's no air movement. And, and yeah, I see that a lot. Um, like I say, I've been blessed to visit a lot of, uh, a lot of rec farms and a lot of folks uh, that are in the industry now don't really have, you know, I, I saw a lot of this in, in Oklahoma, like great hearts and, uh, and a great, you know, a want to grow cannabis and, and an open mind and the money to do it and the place to do it and zero knowledge of the plant whatsoever. And I'm seeing a lot of that. Um, that's the new face of cannabis basically is, is um, oh, you know, yeah. folks that are in it, in it for the money more than the love of the plant. There's a lot of, yeah, I, there's a lot of ranchers in Oklahoma I'm running into and oil guys and people that have like, markets that are kind of winding down or maybe not as hot as they used to be that are suddenly turning to cannabis i went so <laughs> quick story this is really funny and this, this plays into what you're talking about i had a guy call me the other day hey we're having problems with the plants going into flower could you help us out cool i'm thinking maybe his, his timers are wrong maybe he's got light leaks but you know I'm, I'm assuming he knows what he's doing at least to a basic degree right I get there, this guy's father's had these plants growing for four months in five-gallon pots under HIDs in a, in a like 100 by 40 barn. And all these plants are like six, seven feet tall. And he's like, I don't understand why they're not making buds yet. And he's got the lights all, all of us hmm. hours the whole time. He goes, I grew tomatoes just fine this way. Why, you know, cannabis supposed to be like a tomato. Why is this not flowering? And I'm like, dude, you have like, you spent this much, like, 
this much money on this already and this much time and this much money on power and you didn't even know they needed to be at 1212 yeah and then that's no, I, I sold yeah. simple shit like that is super common here in oklahoma like really common right now i'm not bashing on oklahoma growers but there's a lot of people that weren't cannabis people that are trying to get into it and some of the mistakes they're making are very basic that's the way it is out here you know and I, for a while there was monitoring the, uh, the local Facebook groups, you know, the Oklahoma growers, uh, groups and what have you, because a lot of the folks there need seeds and it's a great networking tool for me. And, and a lot of them had the same questions over and over again. And, and what I recommend to everybody is, you know, go to Barnes and Nobles. Barnes and Nobles has a fantastic cannabis growing section and they have wonderful chairs that are so comfortable to sit in. And just plan like to go sit for two hours and and read through all the books they have and and plan to spend a couple hundred bucks, but like put all the books that you really kind of agree with, you know, and re put those aside, and then bring them home and and read them like a novel, every one of them, front to back, and then put them back up on the shelf in your in your room, and then every time that you make a different move in your garden, like okay, well, I'm doing transplanting now, open those freaking books and read the transplanting stuff. And just like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to, do, you know, cloning, same, you know, same thing. Read the thing on the cloning or, you, you know, is your, is your pH right? Is there, you know, do you need to trim the tips of the leaves? It, you know, there's so many easy things that can be answered. I'm, personally, I'm, I'm weird. I don't ever trust anybody else's opinion, you know, unless, unless somebody shows me right in their hand, right in front of me, something that's far superior to what I know or what I can do. I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm just going to try it on my own. You know, homeless guy telling me, you know, stock advice. That's kind of how I feel about dealing with a lot of stuff with cannabis. And I'm not trying to, you know, pat my own back. I'm by no means a great grower. I mean, my God, I'm, I'm blessed to know some fantastic growers and some people that know a lot. Um, I just have kind of a way with the plant. And, and like I say, the harvest, you know, I can make a, I can make a crappy plant really good not really crappy but you know there's uh but yeah I've, I've been blessed to meet um you know this this legalization has brought as it has to oklahoma a lot of people who do know a lot who've been living like i've been growing in my basement for the last 40 years in montana and i'm you know just boom it came legal i'm coming out here to oregon and i'm growing weed and, and there's some of that but yeah a lot of what i see and like you're saying with the 1212, a lot of what I see um, are people who just don't have that knowledge that can be gained from books. Um, you know, and I've started this consulting business as well. Uh, not that I'm a consultant, but I, uh, it's a consultant agency. Um, basically, I know everybody that knows everything is my thing. Um, and I, I can get pretty much anybody into your garden. Um, at their price to help you with, with your projects. Like most of my breeders are on that list. Um, I have a pretty impressive list of people that, that I can get into um, gardens, but people scoff at that out there in a lot of places. And they say, ah, spend $2,000 to have somebody in my garden for a couple of days. You're crazy. And I go, well, you're going to have, you know, plants in your garden for nine weeks or 12 weeks now. And they're going to have bugs and issues and they're going to, you know, they could have grown bigger 
you could have saved money. You know, there's so many issues that can be resolved with a, um, a consultant or even, you know, what in, what ends up happening. And you and I have seen this over and over again, I'm sure is they end up putting out a beacon and they hire somebody with a lot of experience that's worked in some big processing facility and, and Boulder or whatever. And they make them big hopes and they get them out there and they move their family and they get them into a lease. And then they get them on the standard operating procedures up and going and then they fire them. You know, <laughs> that's like, I see that over and over and over again. And this is like a beacon for everybody. Don't leave the comfort of your own area to go follow it for a grow. Like just don't do it. And if you do bring a motor home or a travel trailer or something, cause it never works out. Not to be a negative ninny, but. <laughs> Everybody tells me I'm moving to Oregon, bro. My, my bro from high school has got this big farm. I'm like, you want to buy yourself like a 16 foot travel trailer? And, no, we're best friends, man. We go way back. And then it's not even like a month later. They're like, bro, do you know anybody that can like buy something from me so I can get a bus ticket back home? I just lost everything. And, and I hear it over and over and over again and usually it's right you know right as the plants you know when you're growing outdoors if everything's going right and you got good operating procedures and you got good good ipm and and every and you're using organic there's not really much to do in the summer other than get in every now and then and thin them out so i mean you know that's where a lot of people got into glass blowing back in the day they were dope growers that sat and they're like, what the hell am I going to do with myself? I'm stuck up on this mountain all day. I hate my life. Oh, I can make some glass. It's like most of the people that I know that blow glass in this area, that's how they got into it. Um, but uh, I forget where I was going there. That's a really interesting point about the having nothing to do and blowing glass. Great. <laughs> yeah. I know a bunch of glass blowers down here in Southern California too. I think they all started out with working for Tommy Chong though, or something like that. But yeah, they're all, all growers too, you know. <laughs> Around here, it's everybody was um, Bob Snodgrass's apprentice. Like everyone, you're like, yeah, oh, yeah you're, you're a glass blower. You, you, you everybody at the beginning it. was a Snodgrass apprentice. It was the only way to get going. Uh, yeah, I got yeah. out of his, out of one, out of the original, uh, the dragon uh, steamroller, the steamroller that has like a red dragon thing on the middle. I think they're uh, yeah. they only made one, but something about, I think a lot of other people have made uh, other ones, or that's what I heard anyway. So I don't know, <laughs> but yeah. It's not back, a in the, back in the day, Bob was uh, like an unattainable force in the, in the universe. You know, I was this, this young homeless hippie kid on dead tour with my backpack and my dog and, Bob was like surrounded by the shield of dreadlocks. You know, you couldn't even see him through all the dreadlocks. Like in there is Bob, I swear, you know, and, and, uh, and I was never able to get that close to him. And then fast forward a bunch of years and we're doing this autism benefit with jinx proof in, um, in Seattle. It was, uh, uh, put on by sub cool, like sub and Jill and dioxide and all these characters at that time, you know, in 2012, they were like really well respected. So, so it was a big event. And, um, a small event but it was big a big deal for a lot of us but uh but yeah while we were there um i way i lost where i was going again 
Snodgrass. I told you. I was, oh, you're talking about Bob uh, Snodgrass. Met him. Oh, oh yeah. A time ago, and he was like the big incredible figure. And then, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Bob was uh, doing some glass blowing there for for the event, and and it was really great to hang out with him on a one on one level. And we smoked a bunch of my bubble hash, and and uh, that was great. But then fast forward a couple of years, now in Oregon, you know, he's a he's just a regular dude, you know, and he kind of he kind of comes off, you know, he wears like a a uh, a zip up uh, like a mechanic suit what do you call that a coverall or a cover it uh, overall huh. you know, the big overall thing he, he wears one of those and Jumpsuit. he's got kind of a scruffy beard and he's you know kind of frazzled looking kind of fella you know he's comfortable with himself and that's awesome that's the way i kind of come off looking people are like is he homeless or a serial killer <laughs> and um but yeah i was at, i was at a, a fish show up in bend oregon and these glass blowers were there and they had their little you know the little gun case and they were trying to show off their stuff and and Bob walked up and they, and they went, he went to like go grab one of the pieces and they closed it on him and like backed away. And I was like, <laughs> no way. <laughs> like they thought they, he was a homeless dude. They, they didn't know who he was. was. No, yeah. they had no clue. They had no clue. Miles Davis walking up on the bandstand and trying to grab your trumpet. And you're like, no. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was classic. And he was, he was running around with his finger up looking for a miracle. You know, Bob Snodgrass trying to get a free ticket into fish which he ended up getting. But yeah, those cats later, I saw them walk by and I was like, any luck selling? And they're like, no, I'm like, let me look at some of your pieces. And I talked and I was like, you guys heard of Bob Snodgrass? They're like, yeah, he's a master and blah, blah, blah. I was like, yeah, he tried to look at your pipes <laughs> earlier and you closed the thing on him. And the look in their eyes, they were like, what? <laughs> and I'm, people call me Captain Oblivious because I'm, I'm really good at that. Like people walk up to me and, and, um, you know, they talk to me. We'll have the greatest time. We'll, you know, like five hours of drinking and partying. And and then people the next day are like, damn, I didn't know that you knew, you know, so-and-so. Like, I didn't either. That's who that was. Oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I wish I would have gotten their number. No, years ago. Okay. Okay. Here I am, like, giving those kids a hard time. All right. Mother, you know who Mothership is, right? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I used to live up in Bellingham, Washington, and I lived uh, on this little lake and we had this little store and the little store had the coldest beer for like a 15 mile radius. And there was a couple, you know, a couple lake areas in this area. Well, I kept running into these cats at the place and they, they were like, man, you smell good. And I was always coming from trimming. And, and uh, one day I gave them some bubble hash and they smoked that and they said, you should come by the ship. And I didn't know who the hell they were. And I thought I was way cooler than, you know, anybody in this little hick town that I lived in. I was just like, nah, man, it's all good. You know, it's, it's cool. And they kept inviting me over and I'm like the ship, it sounds like a weird boys club. You know, <laughs> I want nothing to do with that. Yeah. And then, uh, and then I run into them at hemp fest and, and yeah, they walk up, we hug. It's like, Hey brother, good to see you guys here. Yeah. And my friends are like, you guys know the guys from mothership. What? Oh, and I put one and one together, and, and I oh my god, yeah, that's yeah, it's um I don't know. I try to be try to be nice to everybody, but sometimes I'm just an oblivious prick, and sometimes you know I go to events and you know a good event there's five thousand people a day that walks by and and I want to get all their attention like hey how you doing hey you want to talk about seeds here let me give you my business card hey let me you know so it's hard to remember at the end of like four thousand five hundred and twenty that were facebook friends and um you know it's it's interesting being uh being out in public yeah what was great is uh being being out in oklahoma 
and going to the uh the Canacon and uh oh yeah uh, Canacon was, was walking through Canacon and these kids walk up and they're like hey do you remember me and there were tremors for me like six years ago out here on my farm in Oregon like no way <laughs> young couple it was funny awesome trimmigrants my daughter my daughter's a trimmer a trimmigrant <laughs> or she was yeah I, last couple of years she's been uh, planted at grow she's been uh, staying at some particular grow or another but yeah <laughs> I knew a couple that lived in a little uh, little dolphin toyota dolphin truck uh-huh. and they'd show up on your farm and they were self-sufficient they ate they brought their own food their place to sleep they were clean they took showers like they were the dream and they would just sit uh-huh. down and they could each do two pounds a day but wow. they were like 100, 150 to 200 dollars a pound depending wow. on what the flour was but they would crunch it out i mean and they'd they'd show up they'd help you get your stuff done and then they'd leave and go to the next farm and then one month a year They'd go off and, and travel to like Costa Rica or, you know, we, we went to Africa this last year. You know, they were the greatest tremigrants ever. They always had wow. such great stories. That's cool. Someone, all kinds to, of languages. someone needs to make a documentary about them, you know? <laughs> yeah. 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 One needs to go. And I've been thinking about this, doing a separate podcast. So, so everybody in the industry has like, Three to five really fucking crazy stories. Like, really, really fucking crazy stories in the industry. Or maybe like one really fucking just totally like cartoonish level of crazy ridiculousness. And it'd be cool to do a podcast of getting like all these different people talking about the black market. Like, now that it's been long enough, most, most places, most crimes are seven years. Now that it's been long yeah, enough yeah. that everyone feels comfortable talking a little bit, and before these people lose their memory and start dying, um, it'd be really cool to go back and get as many people like OGs and be like, "So what's the craziest shit that happened?" And like the top three stories of, of like all these different OGs would be really fun and really cool, and all these different breeders and all these people from Humboldt and all these people from Oregon and, and California, you know, uh, Nor- NorCal and Washington and. And, and other states too, you know, like I was busting ass out in, in, in Pennsylvania, allegedly. And, uh, you know, I have lots of allegedly, <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> and, uh, that's beautiful back yeah. and all kinds of other places. So, um, you know, it was really funny. Actually, I was at Emerald cup this last year and I'll leave the particular grower out of the conversation and the transport people out of the conversation, but they know who they are. If they're listening to the podcast, so we had a really awesome conversation about this at their farm, <laughs> but it turns out I was buying a really, really dank, uh, blueberry, uh, back on the East coast in Pennsylvania and ended up discovering who it was coming from because we knew a mutual person that it was, I was buying it from the person they were supplying from. And some randomly we were talking about that person at this thing at Emerald Cup. And, and suddenly this person goes, oh, I know who you're talking about in Pennsylvania. And I go, yeah. And suddenly I was like, they, I used to get this fucking amazing blueberry from them. And they're like, oh, well, this is blah, 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 blah. And so and so and so. And, and um, it was really funny that here my life had been intertwined with someone that I now is now intertwined in my life in an entirely different way business wise. Um, 
you know, going from black market business life to white market business life, but without us even realizing that we were that level of interconnected until 12, 12 years later, it was really awesome. Yeah. I ended up uh, in State College, Pennsylvania for a winter. That was a, a really great winter. Did you did you end up going east at all? If you go just outside State College, there's a town called Jersey Shore in the middle of the mountains. It's nowhere near Jersey Shore, or, or the, <laughs> but it's called Jersey Shore, and it's a mountain town. <laughs> What the hell is up with it's like Missouri naming all these towns like it's Miami, Missouri. <laughs> no, um I I did. I, I broke down in Altoona, Pennsylvania. You know where that's at? Yeah, I know where Altoona is, yeah. Yeah, I broke down in Altoona and um my I was driving the sixty seven Volkswagen bus and I and uh I yeah, I, I needed to be in a safe place, not on the side of the road. Like I had things in the car that were not cool with being on the side of the road for cops to see and you know, like a joint pretty much. And uh, so, yeah, I, I hobbled my rig. People, people told me right away, they said, you need to not be in Altoona. They'll fuck with you. Go to State College. It's just right up the road. And I hobbled this bus, having to stop like every 10 miles to put a couple quarts of oil into it. And I roll up into State College, and right as the engine completely seizes, I put on the clutch, and I coast into this parking lot and coast down this alley. And I pull into the spot and I, I was just like, okay, I'm going to sit here for a minute and think. And I look up and there's five dreads playing, playing hacky sack. And they're just like, bro, nice bus. And we talk and they're like, well, you're just going to stay right here till you find a new engine. It, it was, it was like a godsend. So I, I stayed in my bus through the whole winter with like four feet of snow on top of my bus. And it was, you know, state college, like as a young, I was like 22 years old and, and all the girls, it was like 70% female. It was like, uh, it was the worst place I've ever been. Like I, my daughter's like, I want to go to college. I'm like, never. No, <laughs> no it, it was, it, it was incredible. It was a lot of fun. There was good bands that would come through and uh, there's a really thriving um, um, uh, organic market. You know, I tell everybody that wants to come out here I tell them, you know what, find your own zone and get involved in the, the farmer's market community. Like establish yourself as a brand that people already understand and equate with quality and with organic and with good food. And that way when medical or federal or legalization does happen, you've already established an infrastructure. You've already got your, your workers. You've already got your soil condition. You've already got your operating procedures down. And you've already got mainly, you know, a, a name established, which is huge. You know, out here, a lot of these farmers were, they were growing huge amounts of weed and it was good weed, but nobody knows, you know, daddy's gift or whatever on the, on the wall, unless you're out there pumping it up on the, you know, daddy's gift is the best weed in the world. You need daddy's gift. You know, marketing is, is key. Like look at geek farms. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but they're really killing it out here because they've got a lot of dedicated people that help them market their, their flowers. And, and a lot of people, you know, it's hard for people to come out of the basement, so to speak. You know, a, a lot of us have been um, in the basement and loose lips sink ships. You know, I, I didn't tell my dad, my dad would come to visit when we lived in Colorado and we had a couple four by four trays in one of our spare bedrooms and he slept in the other one right across the hall. And he never figured it out. He was just like, somebody left the fan on in the bathroom upstairs last night. Oh, yeah, yeah, damn kids, you know. Uh, 
Yeah. Yeah, that was uh, thanks to an air scrubber called the, the uh, Air Tiger. Um, reverse osmosis. Or no, not reverse osmosis. Um, what the hell is that thing called? So, so you pop a lot of different beans. Have you seen any weird mutations or traits or anything particularly oddball or noteworthy that, uh, since you have access yeah. to so much different stuff? Um, I've had some weird leaf issues, you know, leaves growing out of the middle leaf. Um, I've also had some flat stems. Uh, last year, last year I grew some um, uh, Bodhi granola funk, and uh, which is by far one of my favorite flavors. I just didn't, um, but yeah, the, it it all ended up being flat. Um, most of the big stalks were flat. It was pretty incredible. No, I I really. Um, this last year, I didn't even want to grow weed, really. I just was like, ah, I better grow a couple plants in the ground. And in Oregon, everybody can grow four plants without a card or without anything. You can just four plants on your property and whatever. So I decided I was going to do, I, I harvested all of my soil from in the, in the forest. Um, in my, I have a nettle patch that grows really well here on the land. And um, usually I harvest the nettles and and I, I build my compost with them. They're really high in nitrogen. Nettles are like God's gift to gardeners. Um, but I, I, uh, I harvested soil from in my nettle, nettle forest and, and used that soil with uh, half compost, half soil, and some perlite. And, um, and then I just did uh, Korean natural farming. I used um, things that I fermented that I found on the land here. Um, basically, my only expense last year was brown sugar and some alcohol and some herbs and a bunch of glass. My God, I bought all these fermenting vessels. <laughs> like now I have like, like 30 fermenting vessels. And I'm like, what am I going to do with all this shit? I can't make that, that much kombucha. The, the coolest part of um, the whole thing, it was a great learning experience, but along with like everything that came from making the fermented plant juice or the fermented fruit juice, uh, you put equal parts one-to-one -one of water and the sludge that's left over and cover it with a piece of paper and a rubber band and put it away for about three weeks and it's vinegar. Strain it off and, and it'll be a live vinegar. When you strain it and you put it back into the thing, a scoby will develop on the top after like a week or two. And uh, and it's so good for like cleaning. You know, I make uh, uh, salad dressings out of it. I have, you know, strawberry and blackberry and apple. Um, vinegars that I've made from things that grew here on the land that I also used to grow my weed last year. So I felt a lot better about that than, um, you know, I used to be a hydro farmer. I used to be just a, a B Botanicare. And, um, I pumped out big, beautiful nuggets and everybody loved them. But one day actually it was sub cool showed me some of his flowers and he showed me his, um, uh, his, um, super soil and gave me a bag of it and I brought it home and I grew one plant over in the corner with the super soil. And that was my smoke. Like I, I grew that one. I, I separated that one and I smoked a little bit of it after it cured. And I, man, this is it. We're, we're no longer growing hydro. We're all about the living soil. And, and we switched over to his well, super soil. And, uh, you know, and the great thing about super soil is when, you know, we, all we added was uh, worm castings. I have a couple worm farms, so I do worm castings and worm juice. Uh, so all we were adding was worm castings and worm juice, a little bit of uh, a top dressing of more super soil towards the end, and a little bit of molasses. And, and um, we were putting out just a stellar product that tasted like somebody threw dirt in your mouth. when you, It was like terpenes and dirt. 
I don't know if that makes you gag, but it makes me smile. Like oh, when, no. when I can tell, you know, you know what, what I'm saying? That like, like that's organic. Mm. You know, what's really funny is like the more you smoke cannabis, the more you appreciate the stranger terpene profiles. Like to me, the, the weirder the terpene profile, the more desirable it is. Like we were going through all the <clears throat> that we were doing. We were doing just some stem rubs and some other stuff on some of this stuff that we're trying to sort out right now to figure out <clears throat> what's going to be bread and butter for, you know, the first couple of rounds. And uh, some of the stem rubs we have are just to- you know, profiles I've never smelled before. And I've smelled a lot of weed and that's always exciting. You know what I mean? And that's, that's probably, that's what gets me hot and bothered. And I think the more and more you smoke and the more of a connoisseur you become, the more you crave that, that different kind of stuff. Or, and then once you find that terpene profile you like, like I'm a huge carfeniline uh, fan or, uh, you know, beta carfeniline or uh, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing it because Scotty real uh, corrects me every time I say that um, with whatever the hell the real pronunciation is, but um, (laughs) um, yeah. The uh, but that's you know, or, or terpenaline. Like, I'm a really big fan of those two, and I know some people get nervous on those two, but you know, once you find those, it really makes a big difference. But it's always fun, especially when you're a breeder or you're you know, especially someone like yourself that's doing a lot of seed bank stuff or moving a lot of seeds. You know, when you find those strange or something that's different, you know, that's 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 you know, what what really is uh, exciting, at least to me. Yes, um, me too. I'm I'm always excited. Um, like a lot of people, you know, every it's hard being the seed guy. Not it's not hard being the seed. Okay, a lot of people want me to have their seeds, and I'm not trying to like yank my own chain or anything. But every October, everybody calls me. It's like, bro, I got this plant that's seeded out, and I got you know. And but every now and then, somebody really catches my attention that'll walk up and they'll have like, oh, I've been breeding this for the last 15 years here take a whiff and they'll give me a little sniff of their jar. And I'm like, wait, 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 hold a minute. You know, like totally ignoring the customer I was talking to all of a sudden, like, hold on, I need to smell that again. It's, it's really rare. You know, I hate to use the term chasing the dragon, but it's kind of, kind of how it feels sometimes every now and then I'm like chasing that, that first taste of weed that I had back in Monterey as a kid, you know, and there's different components that I'll never be able to, completely put together you know one was it's big sir holy bud and two it was grown at sea level with a sea fog that kind of gives it like a weird kelpie taste and uh and then the grower and the way he cured it you know but that was the weed that i grew up on as a kid my friend's dad always had the same weed and uh you know we weren't supposed to grow up on it as kids but but we did but yeah those um those smells and those tastes, you know, like up in Washington, we had uh, a lot of Northern lights in high school um, that came over the border from Canada. It was, it was everywhere, indoor Northern lights. And then um, a skunk strain was around for a while, but then, then we got flooded with um, beasters, you know, and these are back in the day when you didn't risk growing in your house. You know, you didn't, I mean, some people did, but it, like I say, if you did, if you grew in your house, your best friend and your dad didn't even know you just like when I lived in Colorado, I hooked up all my friends at work with that weed that my buddy grew like, Oh, you need some of that weed that my buddy grew. Yeah. hundred bucks a quarter. And, and that was where all my weed went. Um, I never told anybody that what I was doing. 
times are different than now it's instagram photos every day of you know check out this acre you know here here in in oregon in my little county here alone we have ten thousand acres of hemp right now and some of the farms are really impressive I mean, some of them look like little tiny popsicles literally like you know six leaves on a popsicle stick they're really embarrassing um but some of them are you know good six seven foot tall jungles of uh, you know 100 acres just 200 acres of beautiful rows of hemp it's everywhere here this year Uh, last year i was blessed to help Uh, we did a 20 acre harvest and it was a learning experience you know there's a lot of um a lot of craziness i'm like for one i you know we loaded we had a a big giant 24 foot box truck like a big giant truck you know and uh and we were stuffing that thing completely full like as high as we could get it inside and then sending me to drive with it um over to this place in white city where uh, it was a hundred thousand acres and you'd walk in there and it was wook central i mean like every wook in the world worked there like it were like everyone that worked there is like you had to have a face tattoo to work there i swear to god face tattoo and dreadlocks or get the fuck out it was the greatest place ever they were all so great at that time, I was really into DMT. So I was like, have you ever tried DMT? No, I'm the Joe Rogan of that place. But we, uh, I, w- I was back and forth to that place, you know, three times a day for like two weeks. And, and it w- they had so much hemp in this building. I can't even explain, you know, the floor to ceiling in, in a 30-foot tall warehouse, 100,000 square feet. Um, they had all these big giant tractor trailers that were full that had these massive fans so they'd fill it up and then run these fans through it to desiccate it as fast as they could and then pull that stuff out and put new stuff in it and we were pulling up and they'd have like i'd pull the truck back up and they'd have a forklift pull up with a bunch of these big you know four by four uh pallet totes and they'd throw them at the back of the rig and people would just like start jumping in the back of the rig and grabbing these hemp plants and throwing them in and they're they're like, you know, they're like, they look like an indica cannabis plant. Uh, each plant was probably maybe three, three and a half feet, four feet tall, um, and probably a good three quarters of a pound to a pound on each plant. And good size colas, you know, um, before curing the size of a, a full size mason jar. So after curing, not that size at all, but, but, you know, it was, uh, it was great to watch these guys just in there, like, you know, lay, like grabbing armloads of these plants and colas, dragging on the ground and throwing them into these big giant totes and, and the processing facilities. And, well, this was last year. Last year, the whole state only had like 3,000 acres or 2,500 acres of hemp growing. Now, our county alone, like I said, has almost 10,000 acres and it's everywhere. Um, you know, funny story, there's a town called Medford, uh, Medford, Oregon. Uh, they're kind of a conservative town, you know, in, in that most of the people there don't like the, the cannabis growers that live over the hill. You know, we live over the hill. And, and so um, in Medford, they've made it illegal right as it became legal to grow pot or, to you know, cannabis became legal. They've had an initiative right away that said you cannot grow your four plants outside. And if you're going to do it inside, you have to have like signed off by um, electricians and and it has to be like done with a building permit. You can't just, you know, throw some lights in your basement and a tent kind of thing. 
So it, it became really a prohibition area. Well, then hemp became legal, right? And the reason they did this is because of the smell. They're like, we just don't want the smell. We don't want the smell of that marijuana. Well, hemp became legal. And this town used to be, you know, kind of a thriving uh, peach uh, area. So there's all these tr uh, pl pl uh, plums and uh, um, that thing? pear, sorry. So there's, there's just areas where all these stumps have been taken out to keep, you know, rots and funguses from establishing themselves in the dead trees and infecting the living orchards. So, so this year, all of them got disked and they got that black plastic laid down them. And they're all like the complete, the whole town is completely surrounded by hemp fields now. Thousands and thousands and thousands of acres of hemp fields completely surrounding the town. As you drive into Medford, there's not one way you can come into Medford where you don't just like, oh man, that's haze. That smells really good. Or, ooh, that one's cherry for sure. Man. And it just cracks me up because all the people, they can't do a damn thing about it. You can't tell somebody that they can grow, that they can't grow something that's FDA legal, you know, and, and is legal for people, USDA, whatever, on their property. You cannot tell them. The only reason they can tell people they can't grow marijuana is because it's federally illegal. It's, uh, it's definitely, it's an interesting thing to watch because people are up in arms. They don't know what to do about it. You know, how do I control these people and make them not do, you know, and then on top of that, uh, we've got people out here that are very concerned about um, pollen drift. Uh, you know, a lot of folks out here that are doing the hemp, just like a lot of the people that are in the cannabis industry don't really have very much experience. So people are very concerned that they're going to miss out on males and on hermaphrodites and they're going to end up in um, infesting their grows with pollen and eventually seeds. So, so it's been, um, it's been a pretty hot topic. There's been some, <laughs> some controversy. I won't go much further than that, but it's been, it's been, uh, it's been an interesting struggle to see how the cannabis community who a lot of them are basically new are wanting to take away the rights of the, hemp growers you know and and i like i was very involved in the process of um the local county and city process go i went to all the county meetings and everything and and the thing that we were telling people is you know it's a plant you can't tell us that we can't grow a plant it's my right to grow a plant and people were telling us well what about the smell and we don't want to have to see it and blah blah, blah. well now we've got all these people who are new cannabis people who are like we need to burn those goddamn farms down because, you know, we don't want anything to do with this, the, the hemp pollen and the smell and the, and blah, blah, blah. We're just like, Oh my God, dude, really? So we fought for your right to grow, but you're going to tell these people that they can't grow and they should go someplace else. It's uh, the hypocrisy is um, crazy. And you know, like what I, what I tell people is there's a solution and what the solution is, is going over to your neighbor and shaking his hand. You know, they're always over. Every time I drive by a hemp farm, there's some guy stressing out, pulling his hair out over the, the pump. Like they're always dealing with the, the irrigation pump, like pulling their hair out, just looking at it like, oh, you can see him about to snap. And I'm swear, this is like for real. I notice this every day when I'm driving around, like, why are they always around the damn pump looking stressed? But, um, but the, uh, go to him and tell him like, Hey, you know what? I got a guy, one of my laborers, it's not doing anything one day a week can he walk through your farm and look for males and a lot of those guys might be receptive to you know actually yeah do you mind if i hire him you know 
I'll give them 15 bucks an hour for that day because they don't want males either. You know, a lot of these guys are trying to grow tops for um, places like Oklahoma and Arkansas and Missouri where you've got all those CBD stores. Um, you know, they, that's a lot of what they want here. So, you know, they, they don't want those seeds either. It's, it's, it's working together and not, um, not overreacting to stuff, being logical and not overly emotional, which is really difficult for people in this day and age right now. It's a lot easier to be overly emotional. Yeah, but you know, I, and I also understand the same thing too. You know, if you're a cannabis craft grower who's already kind of under the gun, you're getting royally fucked by both Oregon or California or Washington um, because the price has been fucked, the regulations have been fucked, and then you have you have to suddenly deal with a bunch of hemp pollen. You know, I can definitely understand why they're pissed off. <laughs> like I think they're, they're like I, I totally get where they're coming from, but yeah, like I definitely like you know it's really awesome to hear you talking about how you can find those synergies and how they're wanting to not have males either, and and how they're looking for that you know expertise, and that that can be a great way to work together. But I, I definitely you know I, I definitely don't. I, I guess I would feel more more towards the connoisseur cannabis grower than the field crop. Uh, field crop person who's suddenly trying to jump into the cannabis game and not the person who's been working for 20 years, you know, trying to get the, or 30 or 40, 50, 60, 70 years in cannabis on the West coast and, and risking everything and their livelihood or their even life, even their life, you know, and then some, somebody wants to come along who's growing tomatoes and screw up their grow you know, that they, they kind of have a pretty good reason to be pissed off. I agree. Um, in a way, in another way, most of, most everything I see that's coming from the outdoor farms here is getting fresh frozen and turned into live resin. Um, very little of it would I consider, um, I, I wouldn't consider very much of it all to be craft cannabis. Most of the craft stuff I, I see is grown um, light depth or indoors around here. Um, you know, right now people are, they're growing, you know, literally an acre of, uh, of plants that are all producing, you know, they're, they're getting a ton to a ton and a half of weed per acre. And, and there's just not a market for it. There's, there's a big market for carts. Everybody wants carts. Everybody wants, um, to dab. They want the pretty concentrates and, and that's where the outdoor is, um, is doable. You know, it's really hard as an indoor farmer. Like I never understood back when, back when cannabis, uh, when I first started getting into the, the retail, you know, the actually going to stores side of um, the cannabis industry in Washington, I kept seeing this guy that had these things. I'm like, how the hell can he, you know, how can he have this stuff in this market? There's no way in hell. And it didn't even like put one and one together. There's some guy down in the middle of nowhere that's just growing massive outdoor plants and keeping it all down and bringing it up there and just blowing our prices out of the water because we had, you know, we're like, you know, a 32 light system or whatever broken up over a bunch of rooms. We, there's no way we could <clears throat> compete with, with an outdoor grower for, for those things, for like extracts and for oils. You know, we, we were going to get into the, uh, making like olive oil and, and sunflower oil and just, just different oils um, infused with cannabis. So you can make any meal, um, a cannabis infused meal. That's more the direction I like than, um, than a little package with, uh, but unfortunately the law right now doesn't even allow for that. I think uh, 
Oregon's law uh, only allows to have like one portion or two portions. So um, you, you couldn't even sell that bottle of olive oil because they'd be afraid that some child would overdose on it or whatever. It's, um, overdose. And by that, they mean sleep for two days. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Have some really lucid dreams. <laughs> Meanwhile, right. their, their cousin's dying of opioid addiction. Yeah, yeah, you know, that was... Uh, that was what everybody was doing when I was a kid. You know, I, I was, I was real fortunate in, in a way my, my, you know, it was rough as a kid. Cause I got moved back and forth from my mom to my dad in a way. It was a blessing. Cause I'd start getting into my trouble and my, my mom would be like, you're moving away, you know, and I'd go and, and then I come back, you know, six months, nine months later, where's so-and-so they've, they moved away, man. There was some bad stuff that happened when you left, like, Oh shit, I missed everything. And it, it happened that way. Like, all over, you know, friends got into drugs, people started overdosing, there was murders, like all kinds of shit. And it was like a month after I left some, you know, crazy group of partiers. So yeah, but a lot of, a lot of them were, um, you know, ended up on, uh, on the opioids and I, um, I'm really blessed that I didn't like those. You know, it's funny, you know, I, I blew my ankle out a number of years ago on a, on a government job and, and, uh, and, it, and that's how I get my medical card is my, you know, it's a well-documented injury and whatever. But um, so I, I go to the doctor, you know, about once every six or nine months and I get like 35 Vicodin, you know, and I used to be able to just go in and be like, Hey doc, you know, I ran out of Vicodin. Can I get another 30 or 35 of them? And they look at my chart and be like, you're not getting them anywhere else. huh? Yeah. All right. You know, quick script and send me on my way. And just every now and then, you know, every, once a week, once every two weeks, I'd, I'd find like, man, my ankle really hurts and it's making it so that I can't fall asleep. And I'd pop a Vicodin and I'd fall asleep, wake up, you know, no problem. Well, shoot, I went in there about a year ago. I popped in and I said, hey, you know, I need to get, and he's like, whoa, hold it right there, buddy. And, and it suddenly transitioned from like a friendly discussion to like, we don't serve junkies like you around here. And, um, and yeah, they, they've completely changed uh, pain management so trying to find other pain management things has been key. Like, you know, I have, I have pain in my ankle. It's a, a kind of a constant thing. And cannabis doesn't really, doesn't really do it all the time. You know, and I've, I've learned things like uh, wild lettuce has a nearly opium effect um, as far as pain, blocking pain receptors, but it doesn't have the, the high. So I'm looking at different um, legal um, narcotic free um, organic ways that I can block my pain, which has uh, been an interesting path lately. I've, uh, I have some pretty bad back issues and some of the digestive tract issues without getting into detail. And um, edibles has always been like, when I'm in pain, I take an edible, like an hour or two later, I'm going to, even if I'm still in pain, I just don't give a shit as much about the pain. You know what I mean? Like, I just, I don't care as much. And it, it, it like that the disassociation makes it easier to just get through the day. I have a hard time on medibles. Uh, I end up either, either it hits me really hard and I can't control myself when I go dance in the streets naked or I sleep for like two days and I'm, I just have issues with dosing and, and that's with taking the dose that everybody else is like, everyone's like, Oh yeah. Tablespoon of your peanut butter is perfect. 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 And I take a tablespoon and, and I don't, I wake up the next morning, my, my pillow's covered in drool. Like, 
what have I done? Oh my God, it's 11. <laughs> yeah. So, was, uh, so the other thing I wanted to ask you um, was about the smoke. So you deal with a lot of fire and smoke and stuff like that. What are some of the different things that growers can do to kind of deal with that whole situation? Uh, like I was saying, uh, foliar feeding, I think, is a big part of why I've, you know, people joke about the campfire kush. Um, this last year, we had 100 fires started on July 15th. So, you know, this is like the the beginning of our big push for growth. You know, we've just, like everybody puts in the ground about J June 15th here. And uh, so, you know, a month later, they've really just established roots and they're really just hitting their legs. Like, here we go. And then all of a sudden the sun is blocked out for, you know, for most of the summer it was. Um, and then what happens is it starts turning people's plants into flower because the, the sun's been blocked out. So you got to like really pump them full of nitrogen to keep them from flowering. And, uh, and that, that's like never fun. Uh, but, but um, a big part of it is uh, there's soot and there's chemicals and there's stuff like when, when these fires are burning, they're going through and they're burning houses and they're burning cars and they're burning chemicals and paints. And, you know, they're burning all this stuff that's just flying up into the air as a particulate. And then, finding its way down someplace and yeah it's on your cannabis plants and uh and that's why people i think are getting that smell it's not so much that the smoke is changing their terpene or that the smoke has adhered to the, the the oil or whatever you know i think it's just that there's soot that isn't getting washed off of the plant matter and is lodged in there and um but that's that's my uh, my theory. I've never had an issue with the uh, the campfire smell, but I've smelled a lot. I've opened up a lot of bags that I was like, oh, yeah, there's that smell. Uh, that's a really interesting point. Um, I, I started uh, uh, washing plants sometimes, right, uh, before harvesting them. Um, just like mm -hmm. actually dipping them in water. Just take, you know, actually just, uh, it doesn't wash off any trichomes that I can tell. And, you know, you can, uh, all kinds of funky things come off <laughs> that you might not want to have in your flower or, or maybe you do. I don't know. You know what I mean? I just, I started it because I had, like, I knew there was pests on there, you know what I mean? And, and it's really easy to get them off just by dipping them in water, you know? So, and then after doing it a couple of times, I noticed, you know, the water doesn't really hurt. Maybe not even at harvest time. I don't know about big, really thick, uh, heavily, heavy uh, budded indicas like you were talking about before. Maybe you wouldn't want to dip those right before harvest. A lot of my stuff yeah. is probably, probably is more sativa dominant, but but I think I've dipped some plants with pretty thick buds, like pretty close to harvest. I think if it's just regular water, and you just really shake it off, you know, and get the plant dried off again pretty good, you know, before. I, I think it's I think it's safe. But of course, I'm in Southern California and it's really dry around here. So when I dry a plant, you know what I mean? It goes right back to the dry environment. Maybe if you were trying to dry in a in a moist or a humid environment, that might not be the greatest plant. So caution to anybody out there who's listening to me. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to interject that an, an iffy technique. No. But you definitely, no, but I definitely can't that. wash. You de yeah, I've heard, yeah, other people too. Yes, exactly. Go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. There are people that were doing that uh, with uh, uh, H2O2, uh, hydrogen peroxide. 
um, uh, people yeah. back in, in Washington. It was uh, rumored to get rid of powdery mildew after harvest, oh. I think was the thing. It was Jorge Cervantes that, that spread that one on the peroxide. I remember reading that in his book and seeing the video he did on that. Yeah. But you can just yeah. do water. Water, I, I think that I haven't, haven't tried it on powdery mildew, but I bet you the water will just wash the powdery mildew off too. Um, I know yeah. it sounds wacky it's because what, you know, what's water that makes powdery mildew, you knucklehead? I know, but <laughs> but I think it also, powdery mildew is a fungus, you know, don't forget, it's really, really sensitive, you know what I mean? It's, it's easy to, it's easy to fuck it up. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Yeah, yeah, I've been, I've been really blessed, you know, a long time ago, uh, I had powdery mildew, before I learned about air movement in indoor gardens, um, I had powdery mildew and I asked my friend who is a really established grower up in Colorado at the time. I said, what do I do? And he's like, Oh, you just take this little bottle Eagle 20. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, <laughs> and he's like, he's like, you just take a tablespoon and put it in five gallons of water. And every time you cut clones, you put them in that, just dunk them in there. And, and it's a systemic, but it'll be gone in 90 days or whatever. So, so I used the hell out of that stuff. And I, I'd give clones to people that would be like, man, I, I grew this big old room and every, every clone in that garden had, had horrible powdery mildew, except for that one clone, like not one hit of powdery mildew. But yeah, that was, um, as I, as I started learning, you know, those were back in the days when I was doing AB hydroponics and not yeah. like just really interested in putting a product that looked happy. I didn't, didn't really care about what was in it. Now I've, like shudder when I think of those days, like, Oh, Oh my God. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't realize y'all couldn't hear me. You can hear me now. Can't you? Can you hear well, you now? Yes. Yeah. Um, I was, I, yeah, well, you, Mr. Green was bringing about that water bath. I've been a proponent and teaching for years about you know, people when they have an issue, uh, to give the wrap the wrap the pot and all in a big paper bag and give it a shower and then put it under a bunch of fans just to dry it back off quickly, not necessarily for drying it, but to, to before you harvest, when the plant's still alive, put it in a shower and it works great. And I've never had anybody complain or, or advise me of any bad situation that arises from it, but you got to no. dry it back off quickly. You can't yeah. let it be. And I think, I think you can do it safely right up close to, uh, very close to harvest or right even yeah. day before. Um, I, but again, I, I'm not, I live in a dry environment and I'm not that familiar with really huge, thick budded in uh, tight budded indicas. It's also the tightness of the bud. I, you know, I think that with outdoor growers, if the bud is like bigger than a Coke can and it's really dense, then you're, and you live in a kind of a, a humid environment, then you should really be looking out for, you know, bud, bud rot and all that kinds of stuff. Cause there's problems with circulation inside that flower, you know what I mean? So I don't know if it's safe to dip those kinds of plants, you know what I mean? But, but I know it's, I, <laughs> I know it's definitely to safe to, to dip, you know, more sativa dominant plants, plants with, or, you know, earlier in the, in the flowering cycle before the flowers gotten really dense, it might be, you know, might be that the density and the size of the bud and all those things added up might, might make it kind of dangerous. I don't know. I mean, it I all goes back to common. 
and common sense. Thank you, Roger. Exactly. I just I just wouldn't want to recommend anybody to to do something <laughs> crazy that that they learned from Mr. Green Jeans and then go what <laughs> you I ruined the whole crop. <laughs> Happen now. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, yeah. Use use. Yeah, that's, that's definitely a risk. It's definitely a risk when, when giving advice to people, um, especially like and when selling seeds to people too. You know, a lot of yes. people, if it doesn't go right, it's, so, it can be your fault. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you talked a bunch about maybe newer growers. What are some advice? You know, you, you sell a lot of seeds and, and things like that. What is advice that you have for newer growers, you know, as a seed seller? Uh, you know, I'm... <sighs> from from the people I've been talking to recently, I'd say stop depending on the autoflowers and the feminized and just take the big step. You know, like uh, there's, there's simple solutions to pheno hunting and, the, and it becomes fun. It becomes a science experiment. You know, you can turn a spare bedroom with a couple of tents. You can turn a spare bedroom into a pheno hunt in your little nursery and, and a mother area and then a couple of little four by four flowering rooms and, and, and it's simple to do. And, and the, you know, the lights don't take very much The T fives that are running in the, uh, in the nursery and in the pheno hunt area, don't take very much power and just a couple thousand Watts. And, and it's not, you know, people don't, people are buying all these LEDs off of Amazon because of the price is good or something, then you stop doing that too. Like get yourself a 600 watt high pressure sodium or a 400 watt or a thousand watt high pressure sodium or spring the big money and buy the, the good led that you're actually hearing good reviews from. Um, Cause it's, it makes all the difference having good light, you know, having good light, having good airflow, having your, your air exchange um, on point. But as you know, as a small grower, like as I miss the days of just being a guy that grew in my one room. You know, I was able to create these little rooms out of one by one uh, or two by two lumber and plastic, and tilt them up and screw them together. And I had ebb flow, and uh, for a while, and then I had uh, dirt, and, and it was just so simple, and it was fun, and everything was a science experiment, and everything that came out of it, I was so excited, and there was so much quality and love that went into it that that's what came out of it um and and that's you know that's the main thing is just enjoy it like enjoy it and don't be afraid of the plant don't don't get the auto seeds don't be cheap about it don't get the the bag seed that you found in the bag and try working from there because it's very rarely do i ever hear really good things come out of a bag seed like it just doesn't <laughs> no autos you know. There was a guy on the other night, and I guess that I think that was one of the shows. I think I missed it and watched the watched the replay. And uh, you know, but he making the, so many people are making so many good cases for autos. I still haven't. I have never actually tried one. Um, so <laughs> why why do you think autos suck? <laughs> I mean, I've seen I've, some. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I've, I've just never really seen anybody on a, on a, um, I've never seen anybody really. Okay. I've never, I've seen a lot of people who are new to growing, have a really good time growing autos. Um, but once they start breaking into growing other, you know, having photo period plants and, 
being able to have clones and veg them out the way they want them to veg and, and having a, it, it's just, it's a different experience. And the, and the weed is always better. It's the same, same with feminized and people get lazy with the feminized seeds and they always end up getting a nanner. There's always some, you know, they're highly susceptible to stress in my opinion. Hmm. Um, I'm just not a, I'm not a fan of them. I've never, you know, I, I've never run across anybody who is a really big successful grower that was like, and this is where I grow all my auto flowers and my feminized seeds. It's just, yeah. it's not a thing. Um, I was thinking it might have a possible use with like outdoor, outdoor uh, hemp crops though, or something like that, you know, but still, I don't think you could count on having all females. You wouldn't have a field that you don't have to stroll through and look for males anyway. Still, you'd still have to do that, you know, so. I don't know. Yeah, auto flowers are, they serve a purpose, you know. I mean, it, no, I was here, thinking about, I was nice talking about feminized, but yeah, sorry. Oh, and feminized, yeah, yeah. You know, and autos just, and them, same thing. There's yeah, there's places yeah. out here where you can walk out and and just bring your solo cups and drop your fifty plants in a beautiful meadow that's always going to be kind of moist, mm-hmm. and uh, and come back in ninety days and and there's your plants ready to be harvested. You know, and like you said, come through. Yeah. Uh, you know, after 40 days and call all your males, but you know, that's, it's just, I don't know. I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not talking, everybody's got their yeah. own preference. You know yeah. I mean? Everybody's it's, it's, that's the, that's the glorious thing about cannabis. Like I was saying about terpenes and about, yeah. you know, everybody's entitled to their own. There's so many thousands and thousands of options out there and, yeah. there, you know, and, and er, nobody is wrong. Well, some people are wrong. The people that are grown with miracle grow stop. <laughs> 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 for real like people are growing with miracle grow soil when you're like yo what kind of soil are you use they're like oh miracle grow like whoa and then when you jump when you say don't grow miracle grow people jump your ass in those oklahoma groups they're like there ain't nothing wrong with miracle grow i've been growing with it for 20 years like oh no yeah. no no people it's medicine you know yeah. you're growing your medicine for your cancer patient not you know yeah uh, well yeah this, this, yeah I think that it seems to me like with the autos, it's just, auto flowers, it's also about uh, yield, which is not a very cool thing. I mean, I think that if somebody's going to go, you know, to the trouble, a, a home gardener who doesn't, you know, not out, not indoor growing, but outdoor growing, you know, it's just maybe knows how to grow tomatoes and wants to grow a cannabis plant, they'd much rather grow one that's going to give them three, five, seven pounds on it than one that's just going to be a little tiny, you know, couple, maybe quarter ounce or whatever. How much can you get on an auto? I guess you can kind of get some amount, right? But, you know, isn't it, it a relatively Huh? You can possibly yeah, it depends get. depends on how you're growing it, but yeah. But you've only but nothing, got a you know, no, Yeah. No strain is guaranteed to bring you, um, three five or seven pounds that's that's one of the big misconceptions i get when i'm selling when i'm selling seeds at events people walk up and go i want the biggest yielder that you've got that's got the highest thc what's that i said somebody tell him who he's talking to you're talking to mr green jeans i created cherry bomb well known for gigantic trees outdoors (laughs) okay well known for it yeah (laughs) I mean, a, a true yeah. inbred strain, you know, whatever, 13 generations or something like that. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. I started releasing it to public domain in the late 1990s, I suppose, early 2000s. 
and there's quite a bit, quite a bit of it around now. Um, people have grown gigantic plants uh, in Florida, which blew my mind, which is even further south than I am here. Some guy did some, I think, uh, I don't know how many pounds on each plant, but 14 or 15 foot, you know, gigantic colas. <laughs> hmm. So yeah, no, I mean, and, uh, I got a couple other ones that have done really well outdoors up in Mendocino, a couple of uh, commercial growers have bought genetics from me late, late in the season, you know, because they uh, had uh, earlier fuck ups or whatever. And so they come to me for emergency seeds because my stuff is known to grow really fast and catch up to and bypass other stuff, <laughs> you know, so. But, but I mean, I've, I've been breeding cannabis since like 1975 or well, earlier than that, I suppose since I was about 11 years old, <laughs> but I lost genetics up to a certain point. I, I do have uh, genetics going back to the mid seventies. So, awesome. <laughs> but yeah, no, I was just going to say, it's not impossible to breed, uh, to, to get genetics that are, that are, uh, that, you know, are consistently big trees outdoors and, and I think, you know, and, and, and tough plants too, you know what I mean? And that's, but that's what people, that's what home growers want. You know, that's what a home grower should grow something easy to grow, something bulletproof, you know, and, but they're still yeah. going to, as you were pointing out earlier, the work is, the work is, is the, is the, is the harvesting and the curing and the trimming and doing all that. That's going to be an amazing amount of work, no matter what, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what people are going to yeah in the future um and also oh, that uh, they've the, got to come up with some better automation yeah yeah yep something because <laughs> that is yeah that's 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 the diff that's that's hard to see where we're where you know if you're if everybody has large plants and prices go way down because i think it's it's clear that the big corporations think uh see home growing as the biggest threat. I mean, the last four or five states to, uh, to legalize have all, have they all tried to put pretty, pretty strong laws in place to suppress home cultivation or a couple of them had. And pretty, that's kind of surprising, but I suppose maybe not because maybe the corporations already realized that, that, you know, if home gardeners do have five pounders in the backyard, <laughs> that's way more than they can smoke. And so they're going to give, they're going to be gifting it to all their friends. And once again, you know, we're back in the real world of extremely generous Mary Jane, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, it's like, how can you, how can you stop that from, from spreading? How could you, how could you hold, hold back the generosity of cannabis itself? You know what I mean? And and like you were, you were saying, pointing out before, everybody's very, still very fragmented. People are still kind of, uh, it's just now through things like Steve's podcast that we're all coming out of the woodwork and meeting each other. And, uh, you know, and wow, there's a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of power in that. You know, people don't, don't know that they could get seeds to grow a five pound plant in their backyard. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> But, you know, they can, but they can, you know, they can find out. 
That's what we're doing here, huh? That's what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Back in the earlier days, too, like, the only resource I ever had growing cannabis were Jorge Cervantes videos, and then I discovered overgrow.net back in the really early web days. And even yeah. that, like, still wasn't sure if, like, AOL was monitoring my, my web connection. Like, all that was super sketched back in the day, remember? Yeah. <laughs> I, I never library just to sign into overgrow so I could like print out some shit and then go home so that it wasn't on my internet connection. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, uh, and it's been I've really enjoyed listening to you tonight, man. I mean, I'm I'm sorry that I went off on a rant there, but you got me really fired. Wow. It's really uh you said so many things I agree with, and and I'm I'm very energized now. I'm feeling. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited for the future. We're uh, you know we're headed in a good direction. Um, you know, like I, I keep telling everybody, if you know, like learn Spanish, get a degree in botany, or start looking at ancillary projects. You know, unless you're already a good established grower and already have like, you know, a name for yourself is yeah. out here. What we're seeing, you know, is, is we're turning it, it's turning into an agriculture industry. Um, you know, a lot of the farms that you go to uh, have uh, Latino based workers, you know, that are migrant farm workers that are coming in. So, yeah. you know, it's not like the old days when you were going to come here and work for your buddy and make a percentage of the harvest. You know, they're $11 an hour, hard ass out in the sun, hard working jobs. Um, you know, there's, but there's a lot of options out there. There's a lot of opportunity in cannabis and not all of it is just growing or, you know, selling the weed, which is the sexy part. You know, everybody wants to grow the big plant and yeah. have a picture with it. Everybody wants to show the big bud that they grew. Yeah. And, you know, totally. it's the dream, you know, we've all had that dream since the first time we opened up a high times, yeah. but the smart thing is to look around and figure out in your daily life, like, you know, set yourself up a little grow and while you're growing, be like, man, It'd be a lot easier in my grow if I had this thing and then make it and sell it. And, and that's yeah. where it's at. You know, that's the future of cannabis. In my opinion, that's, that's what I'm all about is I'm chasing that next thing because everybody in the world with a little bit of money and, you know, everybody from the East coast came out here and, and bought, you know, a hundred acres and pumped this area full of weed and just kind of, you know, we just as lost as appeal, I guess, you know, I, I love it. Don't get me wrong. But um, yeah. But yeah, I'm excited to see what 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 all comes um on the outside of cannabis. You know, like I'm kind of not really all too happy about a lot of the celebrities that I'm seeing jumping into the cannabis industry to make mm -hmm. money off of something that never once. I've been a cannabis activist for a long time. Like I've been called stoner and loser, whatever you know, for mm -hmm. talking to people about weed. And where are all these people like Mike Tyson and you know, and, and Jim Belushi, where were the, where were they back in the day when cannabis was illegal right. sticking their neck out saying, you know, like, Hey, cannabis ain't so bad. Look at me. I've been smoking it for, you know, 40 years and me and all my doctor and lawyer yeah. friends smoke it at the country club, get over it. No, instead they wait until it's legal and then they go, all right, let me utilize my name and your hard work to, yeah. you know, plague this area with my weed and, yeah. and seeing people like, you know, Mike Tyson is a convicted rapist. He raped his wife like his ex-wife you know i mean it's not 
It's like, you know, is that what we're inviting in in this in this Me Too era? Is like, you know, anybody that's got some extra money <laughs> wants to grow some weed. About, like, oh, he looks cool. What about, I mean, if we're going to go down that road, I mean, the whole advanced nutrients thing, which if you yeah. think about that, that was a, oh, that was quite the thing. And then you have like, um, what was the other one? There was another, oh, what's, what's the other dude that's like super bro dude with all the women all the time who's in the weed game now in Cali and it's all over all the PR stuff. I can't remember his name. Oh, there's quite a few of them. I'd rather not be that guy, but yeah, <laughs> there's a, there's a lot. And it's, it is, it, it's funny to see the whole clash of that, especially when you have like women grow and all this other stuff, especially at some of the bigger events. And they're like right across from advanced nutrients. It's like, come on, like the hell was doing the planning on this. Yeah, we, um, yeah, we, we, uh, yeah, it's, it's hard to watch. Sometimes we forget and we, um, sweep a lot of things under the rug in the name of comfort. Yeah. 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 So <clears throat> I'm gearing up to go to Fest. I'm actually, uh, I've, I've been helping, um, the Kesey family, you know, Ken Kesey wrote one floor over the cuckoo's nest and, and, uh, had the, uh, he built this bus called further and they went to Woodstock. Well, he didn't go to Woodstock, but the bus went to Woodstock and, um, Anyways, basically, if you like the Grateful Dead, you can thank this bus. Well, this he built this other bus, and the engine blew up, and I rebuilt the engine in it. Well, he's going up to Hip Fest, and I'm catching a ride with him. Well, Ken's son Zane, um, catching a ride with him in the in further tomorrow morning. So, so I'm uh, very excited about that, and I've been walking around making piles of things that I've got to pack for me and my 150 pound Rottweiler to go up to Hip Fest for the weekend. Um, up in Seattle, we're we're very excited. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's that's where uh, I, I've actually got to step out and get get moving on this. Um, yeah, no worries, buddy. I, uh, I appreciate you taking the time to, to yeah, this evening and uh, share your knowledge and experience and uh, and chat with us about what's going on up in Oregon and uh, and everything else, man. Yeah, I hope I didn't sway too far off a topic. Like I said, I, I got the gift of gab and sometimes get through like eight stories and then forget like, where the hell was that story even going? It's no, it was excellent. No. <laughs> excellent. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Man. Yeah. yeah. Appreciate your time. Yeah, really. It was great talking to you guys and I appreciate your time and, uh, and thank you. Oh, and can I give a shameless plug? Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. And send me your links and stuff. We'll get that in the description. But, yeah, tell everybody about your, your seed biz and how to find you and your website. I know you've been working hard. Yeah, uh, the, the website for the seed bank is um, almost done, so don't judge, but it's uh, vagabondseeds.com. And then uh, the consulting that I'm doing is osbsolutionsconsulting.com. Look me up, and uh, I look forward to talking to you guys. But, hey, I'm going to um, go ahead and unplug. It was great talking to you, and I appreciate you. And I can't wait to see you. I'm hoping to make it out to Oklahoma City for the Cup here in a couple of weeks, and I'll see you then. Hell yeah, I'll be at the Cup. Right on. Hey, thank you. I appreciate it. I'll talk to you soon. Awesome. Thanks. Bye. Yeah. Bye. All right. How you been? Uh, that was a lot of fun. Uh, thank, it was always fun to have different people on uh, on the show. You can check out him, uh, Vagabond Seeds. Um, I see him somewhat pretty regularly now these days. So.
fun. So, um, uh, how you doing there, Mr. Green Jeans? Um, what's Very going good. On? Yeah, that, not too much. Um, watching plants grow really fast. <laughs> plants in the ground. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't. I, <laughs> I did. I didn't mean. I I got embarrassed again. I was like, oh man, am I, am I hijacking the conversation? Wait a minute. I made a strain that grows really great outdoors. Sorry about that. But <laughs> but I did. I I found this. I found a thread on uh, IC Mag, which I hadn't uh, hadn't looked at to before. At, at before that had was that like over five hundred posts long. And uh, about all about cherry bomb growing in uh, the southeast, growing in um, Florida, and a couple of other people on when I when I, you know, I I dug it up and I was like late to the party, so I put a post on the end of it, and some other people who had been watching the thread came up and found the guy. Oh, the the guy who had originally started the post had put many pictures on it, but then after he got rid of his ICMAG account, he deleted the account, so all the pictures were gone. And I was like, dang it, you know, I didn't get to see these pictures. But apparently what happened was a few of the other posters uh, found him, you know, saw that I was that I was there, that I'd found the thread, and they found the guy. And uh, he sent me an email saying that he was going to try and get his get an account again or get his account up again. And, maybe upload the pictures. So, so maybe I'll get to see these pictures of gigantic trees, cherry bomb trees growing in Florida. I was like, wow, really? <laughs> That'd be so cool. I'd, I'd always suspected they'd do well, you know, even uh, further south than uh, Southern California. They did really well outdoors, outdoors here. And you know, I was wondering, you know, curious about Southern limits because, you know, originally, from Hawaii, but I really don't think it could have been naturalized in Hawaii. Uh, I guess it's possible. But no, there's no native weed to Hawaii. It's no native weed to Hawaii. That's what I said. So, uh, yeah, no, that's what I thought. Um, so, yeah. But anyway, yeah, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, plants are growing big. Everything's in the ground. Vegetables, too many tomatoes. Everybody on the on the podcast is having trouble with their too many tomatoes too, um, and uh, yeah, the macuna bean got a macuna bean going. Um, it's not making me itchy though. It is apparently, isn't it supposed to be? Uh, it's, it's also called called cow itch, right? Cow itch, macuna prurians. The pods. The, 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 oh, okay, so the the leaves and the stems are okay, just the pods. Yeah, the leaves and the stems are not allergenic. It's the pod. The pods have like fiberglass on them. I've grown. Oh my. Okay. Uh, for those of you that don't know, I think we've talked about it a few times on the show. Macuna parensis is one of the best um, general medicinal herbs aside from cannabis that you can grow in your garden. And um, yeah, uh, that you know, it's it's a really really great medicinal plant. Um, but it does have extremely itchy uh, seed pods that should be handled handled with gloves. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, a, it's, a, it has um, some really interesting uh, things. It has, a, it's actually a source of L-DOPA, which has been used to treat Parkinson's. And it is apparently as good as the synthetic 
uh, version of L-DOPA. It's a natural source of L-DOPA that is equal to, and as I believe, I'm pretty sure, been tested already in scientific trials against regular L-DOPA. So if you know anybody with Parkinson's, you should be growing your macuna beans. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Was a macuna bean derivative was the very first medication ever used for for Parkinson's. Right, right, right. First, if not the first. Yeah. Yeah. That funny enough, it was like it was the Love Canal accident or some other toxic accident that had fucked up people's dopamine systems, and uh, these people were like catatonic zombies, <laughs> and finally um, they had them all in like a ward after this accident on this one river or watershed or whatever it was. I don't remember the exact details. But um, all these people were zombies and they had them in like a, a ward. Sorry about the noise here. Let me fix that beeping. Um, they had them in a ward all together. And finally, um, one of the doctors or nurses knocked a lamp over and um, the, the person like reacted and caught it. This person that hadn't moved was all catatonic suddenly had like this reactionary thing. And then the doctor realized that like the reptilian part of the brain was still awake, like the light was still on. They just couldn't, you know, the lampshade yeah. was there to block it. Yes. So, to, you know, metaphorically. So, so he realized that they were still cognitive. So he went to another patient and he grabbed a big ball and he threw a ball straight at their head and the patient <laughs> caught it. Yeah. And uh, they realized that like the reactionary non-cognitive portion of the brain was still completely functional. Still working. Yeah. So he started to do blood studies and, and trying to figure out what was the different chemical that was in their blood and not, you know, not in their blood, but in the other blood and actually nailed it down to L-DOPA, um, which is a dopamine precursor. It's also one yeah. of the things that you can take orally that will go through your blood brain barrier. Yeah. Uh, I, it's one of my favorite medicinal herbs, but um, yeah. it, it's a great thing for both depression as well as a whole wide range of other issues, uh, uh, yeah. recovering from surgery, uh, general mood stability. It, it's a really, yeah. really great uh, uh, herb, but um, what's really cool is that they actually discovered that and then made a derivative from that bean uh, in a concentrated L-DOPA form to, to provide for these people. So, you know, it, it's a long story history and it's a really bizarre history on how they actually figured out that L-DOPA, uh, you know, severe L-DOPA deficiency can cause these, these particular sets of problems. It was actually the result of a chemical accident. Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty funny. Um, yeah. The Makuna bean, it's a really, I, I think it's one of the top, one of the, there's the top 10 uh, most, the, people that study plants for longevity that are interested in plants that would uh, increase people's lifespan and things like that. And like you said, there's, there's other uh, health benefits that have to do with hormonal balance things. Like they help people, they balance people's uh, estrogens and, and thyroid. Like good for thyroid. thyroid. Yeah. 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 Also good for um, uh, if you're recovering from surgery as a plant-based equivalent to HGH. So it helps you recover from injury. Uh, really well in a natural way that's not artificially stimulated um, yeah. in, a, in a strong way. Um, and then, uh, you know, it's just a really good general healing herb. It also has a small amount of DMT, you know, with, you know along combined with the L-DOPA, it helps with the mood a little bit. It's not going to make you high, 
but it will make it hard for you to be depressed. Yeah. So. Really interesting. Oh, yep. yeah. Yep, yep. So, uh, so the Makuna beans are growing good. And, uh, yeah. And um, that's about it. <laughs> Plants in the ground. Boy, oh, boy. It's amazing watching them grow. Um, I'm going to figure out, I'll figure it out by next week. I'm on the other um, laptop, so I can't, I, but I can see we can share, huh? We can use, we can do, can yeah, this can do, do like do video sharing or screen videos. Sharing. Excellent. Ah, uh, yeah. Good. I'll make some of those for, yeah, I'll figure out how to use that. But, yeah, we'll do a little yeah. before, before stream class. Okay. Yeah. So it's, so it's been, how about you? Oh yeah. Roger. Any cultivars that you're really excited about right now in your growth? Me and yeah, I mean, uh, I I've got a whole bunch of new uh, cherry bomb plants that so I've got like one through fourteen and some males too that I'm looking at and it's really amazing because <laughs> it's just incredible because I haven't seen them in five years and now here they are back again and they've actually been bred by someone else, man, you can't believe it. It's so amazing to see, you know, uh, what uh, someone else has done to yet. And yet it's so, you know, it's so cherry bombs still, you know what I mean? I mean, he really didn't, of course he didn't really change anything. I mean, it's a long inbred strain. It's a true, you know, it's the real deal. But, uh, but Anybody who I you know I've 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 always thought that anybody who breeds it probably is going to kind of take it in their own direction you know and and uh, and gas uh, gas canistan or whatever we refer to him as working for Swami there he the work he's done on 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 the cherry bomb is just it's amazing you know I mean he literally I <laughs> he literally steered it more towards the sort of the ideal which may have been slightly backwards, might've been slightly kind of a backtracking kind of thing. And in a sense of, uh, you know, so anyway, yeah, there I am looking at all these plants, you know, they have been that, that whole strain has been gone from my garden for five years. Now it's back. I met a guy uh, locally around here, uh, not 50, 60 miles away, uh, who is growing it, you know, who's also got uh, cherry bomb genetics that he got from another person from a friend so i mean it's it's just amazing that that's so much of it out there circulating around and really often with like older established people have been growing or breeding for years and stuff like that <laughs> can't wait to see you know that's what the best thing about being on this podcast is all these connections it's made for me it's brought basically brought back to me a whole bunch of uh connections that I mean no I never had but I mean you know basically it's kind of like through through my genetics through through cherry bomb and through being on this podcast you know making all these making all the connections through it so yeah thank you so much Steve you're the hero you're the man <laughs> so so what have you been doing Steve Tell us, <laughs> so, <laughs> what are you doing there? Just work, tending the field. We have 582 plants in the outdoors. So just 
tending all the girls every day. So every day starts off at, at dawn or not a hell of a lot after dawn, walking the fields, seeing what's going on, looking for bugs, looking for anything that's wrong with the plants really. And then once that's done, which takes generally two to three hours to go through the whole field and tend to the plants and do a little defoliating while we're doing it. Um, we go to uh, uh, move on to construction, finishing up the plumbing, making sure everything else is being done right by the rest of the guys who are putting stuff together. And then just working on different stuff. We have a, another um, compliance crunch coming up on the 29th. So just making sure that we're gonna be compliant uh, when the next set of regulations goes through so that there's no gaps in that. Um, a lot of crunch stuff, just getting ready to get going. Um, Awesome. How, how much of my genetics, how many, how many plants of, of mine you got? A lot of your stuff is allegedly in the nursery. Um, I think we have four or five in the outdoor. I think one of the Oreo blizzards ended up being a boy. Um, I don't know if we pulled anything else. It's the only one I remember being a boy, but we planted five or six or eight or 10 or each one. So I'm sure Excellent. there's still. I bet the I bet those Jackie O's are going to be intense. Those are directly, you know, directly have, off the Jack Rare clone. You know that that's that's a twenty year old clone, the, the mother of those seeds. We had a male Jackie O, and man, was he stinky and stacked. Like <laughs> opened up yet, man? It was nice. So, looking forward to the girls on those. The other yeah. one, the it's not yours, but the one right now we have. Um, I think I got this from Mount Baker Highway. Shout out to Kenny. Um, if memory serves me right, if not, then uh, I apologize, but I'm pretty sure I got them from him. It was um, Royal Tahoe ACDC uh, Cross. Man, those are looking real good. They're finishing up a little bit faster than some of the other girls. And man, do they just smell ridiculous. Like, just so, so sticky. Wow. Um, Incredible. So, just been doing that. Just. Kind of doing a little sorting, you know, we, we kind of planted at least five, or, you know, five or 10 of everything that we thought we might want to try and produce in the outdoor. For, and, um, and you know, we're also going to grow the same stuff on the indoor. So it'd be great to do that comparison. We have cuts off of everything. So we'll be able to do side by sides on all of those, but just comparing phenomes and, and then uh, just looking at um, structure, you know, what, what's really excelling in the heat and, and yeah. crushing it out there. What's not um, the, the Jamaican stuff and the African stuff, the equatorial stuff is really right. Taking it, of ours are just loving it here. Um, mm. Humidity, the heat, they just they're they're rocking it. Um, a lot of the sativas are really kicking ass, and then definitely seeing a little bit more airiness in some of the indicas. They're just not liking the heat quite so much. Huh. Interesting. But being very general, obviously, um, and then. Just you know, just going through everything and learning about new new beneficial bugs, new new predatory bugs. Got to learn what um dab what are they called Dobson flies are. That was pretty cool to learn about. Um, we talked about wheel bugs in the previous episode. They're really awesome. We see them daily. Um, just learning what some different beneficial insects are and some of the non-beneficial insects are that I haven't run across because I've been living on the east or west coast. So. Oh yeah, you're talking about Septoria. <clears throat> Yeah, yeah. At a, uh, one of the farms near us um, had three quarters of an acre of, of hemp and, and ran into septoria. So just learning about septoria. Apparently that's running through a lot of the hemp farmers in Oklahoma is a, a, a viral or I'm sorry, a fungal infection called septoria. And 
and you know a lot of these guys are getting it i know we found it on our peach trees um i i think a lot of this has to come down to if you don't have that strong beneficial uh, microbials man you're gonna start getting some of this airborne stuff especially in the flood year like the spore count has got to be through the roof mm -hmm. um, so you know if you're not prepared for that uh, you know you're gonna get screwed this year and, and that's what that's what weeds out a lot of the earlier growers and just not only that but just growing in the for the first time in a certain area you're not going to run into stuff like septoria is something that people don't hear about on the coasts or if they do it's rare really rare um, you know, it's not a common issue. Whereas out in Oklahoma, apparently it's something that they're, you know, have seen before. Uh, certainly nothing <laughs> I've never seen before in person. Um, so just, you know, learning about different. Uh, Come here. So. Come here. Um, yeah. <laughs> Oops. Uh, no, you're all good. Um, but just, just, just getting to dealing with that, and then just trying to deal with uh, getting stuff finished up construction-wise. You know, we're getting really close. All the tanks are placed. We just got to connect the plumbing, waiting for a couple of buildings to go up, uh, which won't be too long. And then we'll be off to the races. We'll be cycling soon before we know it. I think in the next 30 days, we'll, we'll be cycling, at least starting the cycle. So really excited about getting the farm online after this many months of work. So looking forward to it. Very cool. Yes. Can't wait to hear. Can't wait to see. It's going to be great. Yeah, I'll have to have you out here sometime. Yeah, I'd love to see that. That'd be great. Can you hear me? Hey, we can yes, hear you. I've been listening the whole time. for. I had to turn off. I don't know. It's weird. Things aren't working like they did with the Hangouts for me. And when you muted me earlier, when you said I wasn't muted, I was muted. And, well, you know, but, um, and then it cut off. I couldn't hear anybody. So I, I've been trying to figure it out the whole show and just listening the best I could. But, yeah. Well, that, that's all great. So I'm, I'm glad, I'm, I'm glad you're, uh, I was going to say earlier about your IC mag, um, uh, Mr. Green Jeans, that you didn't make a connection at that time, but they made a connection to you. So that then, you know, when you were talking yeah, about. Yeah, I was gone from IC mag for about six years. Yeah. I, I wasn't there. And when I got back and then I started, you know, and I was talking to Gypsy and stuff like that. He was like, Hey, welcome back. You know, we got him on the show. And, but then yeah and i didn't hadn't bothered to you know i just went on there and you know made some searches i see mag has such a gigantic uh, uh archive now you know it's it's been on yeah. for quite some time the archives are huge and uh and sometimes i don't even think the search engines always work that well so like the, you should really you know if you're trying to find out some specific kind of information you maybe have to make a couple searches but I, because I, I, I swear maybe I, I didn't, maybe I searched something else uh, another time or whatever, but I don't remember ever seeing that particular thread come up before. Maybe I only searched my name. I don't know. Maybe I didn't search Cherry Bomb. I don't know what it was, but, but yeah. Yeah, it was amazing. I, mean, I couldn't believe 500 posts long, you know, a gigantic with many, many people, not just a couple of people, but lots yeah. of people coming in. Because I guess the guy did a really amazing grow show. So I can't wait to see. Uh, he sent me a, an email promising to that I'll get to see the pictures <laughs> at some point because he had removed his account from ICMag, you know, so he couldn't see them on the thread anymore. I'm like, ah, oh, damn it. Yeah. So, <laughs> anyway, yeah, it's pretty funny, right? I think it was oh, one thing. Cool. I was like, why, why do so many people know me? You know, I mean, like, I don't know. 
you know, I can, I can must be something, you know, there must be something. What happened behind my back? <laughs> I guess it was stuff like that, activity like that, you know. Yeah, that was pretty cool, that, uh, especially when you got yours back, too. I always thought that was one of the greatest stories. Oh, it's, it's amazing. It's really incredible. And to, to see the work that the other person did. And uh, I would say that uh, Gas, I would say he did it very, he did the work very lovingly. I mean, he must have, he must have studied my, my descriptions and my posts, the words that I had written and stuff like that. It studied that kind of stuff, literally, and, and you know, memorized all those things. And plus the, you know, the really interesting thing too about the coloration, you know, about the wine uh, coloration of the stems and everything, and also the pink and the purples and the pistols is that I can't see those colors because I'm colorblind, right? But I- Oh, wow, I didn't never know that. I knew, uh, I knew kind of that they were there. Uh, I knew they were there. And I, I basically started moving towards open pollination um, pretty early on, probably around the fourth or the fifth generation. I started trying to include as many, as many plants as, or more plants, if I could possibly, you know, more male plants, more females in, in, in the crowd. I was only taking out certain percentage and then, you know, so, but not exactly open pollination. That doesn't mean just allowing every pollen to just blow all over the place, but, you know, fairly, fairly open. Uh, and I started doing that early on. And I think that's one of the reasons why traits like that got carried along. You know, I didn't, I didn't select them out. I could see that they were there. I could see that some plants had them. But when I gave the seeds to gas, I'm quite sure that the percentage of red stems and red pistols was much smaller probably one out of every eight plants maybe whereas he he increased it to probably 25 or maybe even 50 percent because he because he he could see it better he wasn't colorblind simple as that you know this is why it's great to it's great to give your genetics away and let everybody else play with them you know and there's a good yeah, there's a lot of that from good breeders going on right now too. So that's a, yes, exactly. That's what I got all going on right now is all friends from the show and friends from the organic cannabis conference too that I'm growing all their seeds finally. <clears throat> yeah. uh, and uh, I still got some moms from ILGM, and I got some seeds. I've been sharing my seeds with people, some people. Um, you know that that are not as fortunate you know and uh and try because i don't have a whole big pile of them you know so i get them here and there and i try to share them with this person that person that is not as fortunate to have a, a source to good genetics or or they need to grow their medicine you know like i find on the forum you know um I want to, yeah, I got to give a big shout out to the members of ILGM too and, and the staff. Um, we had a member go into, into the hospital a couple, three or four weeks ago. And uh, I'm not going to say his name or anything like that, but if anybody listens to the show, you'll know who I'm talking about. Um, he went to hospital with very bad heart issues and had operations, I guess. And it was real touch and go. And the whole time he was in there, his grow and all his medicine died, you know, or got ripped off or whatever happened. It got destroyed. It was, it, you know, ended up being destroyed. And, uh, and um, 
he had some real serious issues in his personal life and was basically left alone, come out of the hospital and he has no medicine, no, no genetics or anything like that. So uh, a few members brought it up and uh, we, we jumped right on it. And, and um, so we're sending him, we're sending him like three packs of seeds to get started again. What he was gave him a choice and, yeah, it's a really good member, and I just wanted to mention that, you know, for any of our members that are listening to the show, because they they probably love that. I it seems like people like to hear you talk about him a little bit. Um, he's I think he's doing okay now, you know, and uh, he didn't even realize he was just sharing his his medical issues, and then everybody wanted to give him genetics. So, well, I guess what I'm saying is thank you to all the members of Isle Gym that wanted to help him out. And but we're not going to, you know, free up all these, uh, you know, the addresses for everybody in an open forum. But, you know, because of your your love for, you know, our friend, we we've got him some really good genetics to start off with. And and I personally take care of that kind of stuff. So I do have his address. So if any of y'all want to reach out and send a few seeds for somebody that's in need, I'll appreciate taking them. Um, or in making it happen, the people that already know me pretty much, people on the forum, you're welcome to reach out to me in that thread that we started. Um, um, and uh, I'll pass them on if you want to do it that way. So it's uh, you can tr- contribute further than what the company's done. And it was not a big thing. It's just a, it's a little thing to do for somebody that's been around and been a good member for two or three years. And we appreciate it. He's always been a real nice person. And I uh, was shocked when I heard what happened to him. So, you know. Yeah, sorry. Didn't mean to go off. I guess it's tangent night, huh, Mr. Green Jean? Green Jean's had to run. Uh, you can find out more at greenjeansgarden.com if you want to find out more from him. And, uh, yeah. So why don't you tell everybody how to find you there, Roger? Well, I love growingmarijuana.com. There's a forum that I work at. And, uh and I've got a, we've got a great staff and a lot of friendly members, lots of knowledge. Um, I don't. I would say, yeah, I'm not going to try to compete with the the archive at IC Mag, but we do have a blog with over 500 articles, and they're all pretty well in depth for the most part. And uh, some of it's uh, legal, legal, you know, talking about the legal states. I think that you know we're going to be tightening up. I get a lot of questions for that, but I think we could do a little tightening up on that personally but it's nice to be there to give you some ideas about that and a lot of great uh, great advice on different methods not necessarily condoning one method but information good solid information on almost any method you'd want to grow you know and a lot on genetics uh, different genetics that have been grown and you know what different things like in different climates and stuff like that but uh it's a real nice site i also am at instagram and facebook under roger latewood and we've got more activity on Facebook. Thank you, everybody, because I try, you know, just I've got some stuff to post to Instagram. And I think that that's going to, you know, allow me to to enjoy it a little bit more. Um, because now that we're I'm involved with a hemp farm here, uh, I'm going to have some interesting things to post. I already got a couple of pictures that I posted last week. Well, not at Instagram. I posted them in a group. Uh, and right. I need to get them on Instagram, though. It's our first two, our awesome. first two nice bud p- pics of uh, our outdoor grown hemp. So, um, 
It was nice. So, did you want to ask me something, Steve? Uh, anything else? Oh uh, no, I just I gotta go. I've been up since five, so. Oh. Uh, it's eleven now. So. Oh well, do we need we need to say, hey guys, it's been a great night. Steve's really tired, so let's yep. take the heavy lifting off of him, and and uh, we'll talk to you next uh, Thursday. This coming Thursday, right? Yep, I'm burning the candle at both ends, trying to get this farming done. We were. The hot days this week have been hitting and stuff at dawn, so it's been rough. So yeah, I heard that so, ninety uh, degrees at six in the morning. Yeah, yeah, it's fucking brutal. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll catch you guys later. You can find me at Poem Ponics on YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify. Uh, thanks again to Vagabond Seeds. You can get check out Vagabond Seeds. I know he's working on a website. I know he mentioned it earlier. We'll make sure we have the description and link in the description, and. Um, yeah, thanks everybody else for being part of it. And we'll be back again on Thursday. See you guys again. Cheers.